1: Cumulatively across everything I am associated with, we're in nine figures, a hundred million plus. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with successful people that hate their lives too. It doesn't always Mm -hmm. overlap where the more jack you are or the more successful you are equals happy. You could live a very mediocre life and have a company that is nine figures. Dude, if you pull this up, you will find some wild.
0: So Derek from More Plates, More Dates, thank you so much for coming on the Iced Coffee Hour podcast. means a lot. No, thanks. Really for appreciate coming all the way from
1: Canada too. You're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honored.
0: You were just in Austin shooting your third ever podcast with Joe Rogan. How nervous are you before going on Joe's podcast?
1: The first time when you have no idea what to expect, it's pretty nerve wracking because you don't know how elaborate the setup is. If there's you know some sort of scripted questions that they have teed up for you, like well, how it's going to go, and mm-hmm. it's very very chill, nonchalant, kind of just bros talking. And in the studio, it's literally kind of like this. It's just him and jamie and nobody else there's no one else that's so cool i think that you know the more i don't know low-key you can do it the better with joe it's like obviously he's super easy to speak with and i don't know like we get along well so i would anytime he wants to have me on like i'd love to be on so
0: that's amazing okay so i have a question just on over optimizing Because I see a lot of people and they always suggest things in like a very dogmatic way. Like you need to optimize your testosterone regulation, your sleep, your nutrition, your diet, your meditation. Supplements, hydration, no fap. You have this guy Brian Johnson that made an entire career out of optimizing basically every single thing that you can imagine for longevity's sake. Yeah. He says he's going to live till he's like 150 or whatever his Does he concretely? State well, no, he, he will, says though. he says <laughs> he's like decreased aging by like 20 years, or right. he's able to slow it down yeah, considerably. Like, so it's like now when I look at him, yeah. obviously I yeah. I wonder the validity of that statement. But who am I to say I'm not? Why the do swim. you wonder though? Why do I wonder?
1: Like, what is it about it that makes you skeptical?
0: Like, when I think of just a healthy person, yeah. I would say that is not the profile that I generally imagine. He just looks really, really pale. I would say... Jack, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't it's say like that, that, Jack. It's like the Come first on. thing that comes to mind, and yeah. here's the, we're all thinking it. Anyways, uh, is there a point in optimizing too much?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the... The the thing though is, is a lot of the low-hanging fruit stuff, when you dump it into lifestyle, diet, training, sleep, like you could easily subcategorize it into just a few things, but then within that, you get can get so hyper granular where it's like infinite amount of optimization possible. So I could say that, yeah, there are five things that do 90 plus percent. And within that, that was just defining what is the actual thing that defines a good training regimen or a good sleep regimen or whatever. And he definitely takes it to the you know absolute extreme that is to the point where you wouldn't even be able to discern if what he is doing in some capacities is more harmful than helpful in my opinion. Cause some of the stuff he does is like counterintuitive. Like he diets so aggressively that it shuts down his testosterone to some extent. So now he has exogenous testosterone, he applies to make up for the lost hormones that he's not producing because he's in literal (laughs) malnutrition state. So like, that's kind of paradoxical and not really like, is that optimization at that point? Or are you just biohacking yourself to be jacked while also depriving yourself of nutrients? You know, when you add in three experimental drugs and then you're already on 72 other things, and then you're also trying something new with this, like trying to determine what was the thing that changed and how it influenced its... um. Cross interactions with the other stuff you're already on, it's kind of hard to know for certain. Like just the other day, he was talking about how he's adding oral minoxidil into his regimen, which is like a really outdated antihypertensive medication, which is no longer used almost ever and has a black box warning, meaning it's like the most prone to potentially lethal side effects. And it was repurposed as a topical for hair loss when they found out that when people were taking it, they were growing hair everywhere. So they, these people were using this blood pressure medication and just growing body hair and hair on their head. And they were like, oh, huh, if we repurpose this for a topical and you put it on your head, can you get the same effect? It turns out you can with less side effects and you keep it somewhat localized. So some people though, to take it to the extreme, to get the maximum effect, they will take the old, like really outdated oral medication, which is more effective, but also proportionally more side effect ridden. So is that just to keep the hair on his head? So lot of oral minoxidil? A lot of the stuff that he does too is not just about objective, like health metrics. It's also about vanity. Yeah. yeah, I was was wondering about like
2: being so low body fat. Is that healthy to be in that state all the time? He looks great but is like is that optimal to living to 150
1: yeah so that's that's the thing too is what is the goal and are you optimizing for that goal anyway because a lot of what he does is not necessarily in the extreme of longevity it's also very intertwined with I want to look good and be healthy simultaneously which is fine but it's like again some of these some of these treatments are not necessarily like pro longevity like you try to argue that oral minoxidil will help you live to 150 it's probably not so but you know, you know what? Maybe he's able to get more attention looking the way he does. with yeah, and then with is, the
2: six pack abs, like, look how healthy I am. And
1: then indirectly, it's yeah. like if you look good and you look younger, do you behave younger and have some sort of like health mm-hmm. benefit? That's a good point. Like, I'm sure I think there is a literature on that that does show that that is the case. If you look better, you will actually like be healthier. Yeah. How much to of that exact. do you think is
2: just genetics in terms of how long you're going to live? Because it seems like there are these communities in like Europe and Japan. Mm-hmm. Where the people live in, into their early hundreds, and it seems pretty common. And maybe that could be diet, uh, or, or you know, being stress free or socializing more. But how much of that do you think is
1: genetic? A lot of it. So, like, there are people yeah. you could find who have all of the red flags of what you shouldn't do and will still outlive you, even if you tried everything Brian Johnson does. Uh. With that said, you can obviously have your best shot at extending whatever it is that you're working with. You have a certain hand of cards you're dealt and what you do with that is dependent on all of the factors that you impose upon yourself, lifestyle, diet, et cetera. And yeah, I would I think a lot of stuff could extend lifespan fairly significantly. Like when it comes to cardiovascular disease, it's like the number one uh, killer of people in the States right now, like even more so than cancer. And that is super preventable if you know what to look for in blood work and know how to get Uh, if you have a high quality doctor overseeing your care. Some of the stuff under that though, like cancer and whatnot, like some of the stuff is so nebulous to know if you're actually going to be fine, when you're gonna get it, how you're gonna get it, how to avoid it. All you can do is kind of optimize what you can and you know, hope it's impactful on a number of years. But in general, the thing that should be more focused on, I think, is the quality of life over quantity. Because there are certain things you could do to extend lifespan that aren't necessarily like making life fun or worth living. Cause you could diet yourself into like a state of metabolic nothingness almost and be like, like for example, a tiny old woman might outlive a really jacked, you know, big dude mm-hmm. because she's, you know, like doesn't really require that much to sustain herself and has very little risk factors from different aspects. Um, I don't know, doesn't have a lot to impose on her body demands wise Her organs don't need to support like way more calories or what have you. But is that like a life you wanna live where you're depriving yourself of food constantly doing these like three day fasts? I'm not saying they don't have validity. It's just like, you know, it's very speculative what this stuff does at the end of the day and how much it extends lifespan. All you can really do is things that we know work and are worth doing like having a good diet, exercise, sleep, And I would say assessing your hormones, biomarkers, et cetera, to make sure stuff is at least as optimal as it could be. And then if you want to address it further and go some degree in the biohacking kind of optimization realm by manually intervening, then, you know, that's a judgment to make once you've kind of like assessed things from an educated angle.
0: So So actionable things for the viewer, let's just say on average, it's an 18 to 35 year old man. uh, What five or so things would you recommend that do 90% 90% of the, you get 90% of the results of all optimization.
1: Sleeping eight hours a night. And obviously you could get granular around that and how you would optimize that. But let's just put the bucket of like, mm-hmm. you know, sleep. Make it simple. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, assuming it's good. And then we have resistance training is like very overlooked in terms mm-hmm. of its importance, in my opinion, like having muscle and bone integrity, especially as you get into older age is like of critical importance. Um... I would say just basic moving your body. So getting 10,000 steps a day, I think it's a pretty like concrete, good cookie cutter recommendation for most people. Um, and I like the idea of having like a goal that you can actually know you reached and feel good about you achieve something rather than some nebulous just like move around a lot because mm-hmm. that's often what you hear is move, you know, move your body. It's like, okay, well, you know, some people need a step tracker or whatever to see that they're actually hitting a number that gives them that feedback. I did good today and I know that I kind of hit my basis for what I need to be doing. Um, So I would say the resistance training steps, sleep from a diet perspective, not overeating. The only way you would really dictate if that's actually happening, if you're totally unaware of how to go about tracking your macronutrients is looking at the scale. If you're eating and it is going up on a regular basis, like you're eating too much and you need to lower your portions and or look at the quality of your food and kind of determine is there, You know, am I eating ultra processed, like calorie dense, hyper palatable foods and maybe I should reel back and assess what I'm eating. Why is it that I'm overweight right now? And often, like you can't out train a bad diet or if you do, it's very difficult to and most won't. Very rare circumstances do I find people who are training so much that they could eat whatever. It exists, but they're outliers. In general, people need to just look at what they're eating and probably at least for a month or two meticulously track like every calorie that enters their mouth. and. If you're not gaining weight on average on a weekly basis, then you know you're either at maintenance calories or if you're losing weight, you're in a deficit. And as long as you are at a healthy body composition, you're not gaining weight unless your goal is to gain muscle, then you know I think calorie energy balance in general is kind of like the fourth bucket. I would say fifth is like getting diagnostics to actually assess that what you're doing is moving you in the right direction too. Because there are certain genetic predispositions that no matter what you do, lifestyle diet, etc, you might be overlooking some significant uh, problem that exists within your um, ancestral you know like your parents, grandparents, whatever that is passed on to you that goes overlooked and that you might want to you know get diagnostic oversight in order to make sure not only that the things you're doing on a regular basis are providing actionable feedback that your you know levels on all metrics are getting better, and looking optimal for sustaining health and quality of life, but also that you don't have some weird outlying genetic predisposition that you're totally unaware of that would have killed you in 15 years.
2: Well, I guess since we're on the topic of longevity, did you know that 50% of businesses fail in the first five years?
0: Well, thanks to today's sponsor, Shopify, you'll have all of the tools to ensure that longevity is the only option. For
2: those unaware, Shopify is the global e-commerce platform that's already transformed millions of businesses worldwide. For example, Shopify is an endless list of integrations, third-party apps, and flexible templates to customize your online store exactly the way you want it. And what sets Shopify apart from their competitors is their ability to turn browsers into buyers, with the internet's best converting checkout that's 36% better than leading e-commerce platforms.
0: And fun fact, Shopify actually powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, supporting brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn in over 175 countries. In
2: fact, my coffee company, bankrollcoffee.com, which you could go there right now to check it out and see- Not a plug for them. But you can see what Shopify is doing. We've used Shopify for the last three years, and we use them because they were the best by far, and they've been fantastic. Plus, they have an award-winning support team to be able to help you any step of the way.
0: So sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/ich. That's Shopify.com/ich to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/ich all lowercase for a one dollar a month trial period. Thank you so much, Shopify, and back to the episode.
2: Does it matter what you eat as long as the calories add up to a certain amount? Like eating fifteen. Calories worth of Oreos versus, Mm. you know, 1500 calories
1: of steak. Does it matter if the calories are the same? For sure. Yeah. Like the quality of food. At the end of the day, if you're in a deficit and eating less than you're expending from a caloric standpoint, you will lose weight, but the proportion of weight lost will be suboptimal if you're eating just Oreos to achieve that. So if you're, even if you're training perfectly, you're doing your cardio, you're eating 1500 calories of just McDonald's versus high quality red meat complex carbs like whatever Mm -hmm. the difference in your body composition at the end of it will be pretty significant in that you will have more muscle you will have better health markers you'll feel better like there's a clear difference in terms of the outcome although you could still buy like scientifically you will lose weight it's just impossible to not if you're in a deficit of energy but a lot of systems in your body will be performing worse if you are eating the Got it. And how do you optimize your
2: sleep? I've seen some people say that you're supposed to do everything completely blacked out or you're supposed to have a light next to you that slowly wakes you up. I found that for myself, I do best with natural sunlight in the morning. Like despite what everyone says, I like seeing the sun come up and I find that I sleep better waking up somewhat naturally. What time do you wake up though? Uh, I would say about eight, uh, maybe seven the earliest. And the sun
1: is up at what time here? i would say 5:36, give or take so i guess it depends yeah. on how your sleep tracks with the sun because it's like let's just say you're trying to wake up four hours after it comes up having that light entering your room and disrupting your sleep might not be ideal versus if you're actually waking up with it i would mm. say that's pretty optimal if you could go to sleep as it's you know when it's dark and then waking up with it you're pretty much replicating what is an ideal circadian rhythm a lot of people don't have the luxury of that. They work shift work, like whatever it is, in which case you have to get a little bit more, uh, I don't know, granular on what you're doing. And yeah, I think blackout blinds are great, um, depending on the person, because it's also pretty hard to get up when it's blacked out in the yeah. room too. And that's where like the natural light can be helpful. Yeah, I, like, I would love, and it's obviously unreasonable to ever suggest this to anyone, but having a device that would blackout blinds that open slowly at like a certain time of day, like, based on mm-hmm. when the sun is coming up, or you know, when you actually want to wake up. Cause even right now, a lot of people, if you have a blacked out room, me included, I have to still have certain tactics sometimes to make sure I don't just lie there. Cause when you wake up, you know, if you don't have that natural light cueing you to be. Does that up. not exist, something that just well, opens the get, shades? Yeah, I've you could get an automatic
0: like... electronic something where you just push a button. Yeah. But that's that's like highly you expensive. Want
2: it to, you want it to adjust every day, though, based on the
0: sun. Like the a sun... lot of
1: people would argue just go to bed on time. But it's, like, yeah. it's not realistic for everyone, obviously. Right. It's yeah.
0: insane that I'm saying this because it sounds so lazy, but I'll just be honest. I was thinking about buying some wood or a super long extendable stick because my blinds are probably nine feet away from my bed yeah, yeah. where as soon as I wake up, I just... Whoosh, You know, and I just like open it up a little bit (laughs) because getting out of the bed when it is pitch black in your
1: room, even
0: if it's 9 a.m., it's just harder. Yeah, that's the
1: opposite of lazy. That's like intuitive shit right there. But Yeah. yeah. Getting to bed, I think the timing of it is very important. So your body adapts to cues, especially when you're eating or exposure to sunlight. So if you go to bed at 10 every day, trying to go to bed at the same time every day and trying to wake up around the same time every day And ingraining this rhythm in your brain is like one of the most important things. Um, I would say avoiding eating as close to bed as possible, ideally, would be worthwhile as well. So some people, they will eat, you know, midnight, you know, a late night snack or whatever, or have a lot of their calories right before sleeping. And your metabolism will be Trying to essentially use up that food when you were in bed and trying to fall asleep. And when you're trying to fall asleep to get into sleep, you need to lower your body temperature a certain amount. And if you are ingesting a bunch of calories and requiring your body to then like fire up m- metabolic processes to actually use it up, like that's a heat generating process. So you are actually impeding your ability to fall asleep when I you are eating. That.
2: Mm. But then why is late night eating so popular? Willpower is diminished to nothingness Isn't and it? it's like access. It's is just, it does feel really good to eat a big meal and then just go to bed afterwards.
1: Depending. It's on hard person. for me to sleep when I really? eat before bed.
0: Yeah, I, I actually to cut, cut off my eating. I just noticed it as a pattern in my life. It's extremely hard to fall asleep.
1: Like there's definitely a individual component to it because like, for example, I wouldn't suggest going to bed super hungry either because then maybe you're too hungry to get you know stay asleep some people are different and that's where you kind of have to play around with it I'm not suggesting that everyone should do this but in general if you're eating the majority of your calories too close to bed it will be harder to get into deep sleep and stay asleep so I would just be mindful of that a lot of people I know try to stop eating like at least two to three hours out.
0: Wow. I want to get onto the story and how you acquired all of this knowledge and then how you leveraged this knowledge to build a $100 million plus business, which you've talked about on other podcasts as well. But before we get into that, there's one other random question that I have to ask, sure. which is Andrew Tate says, oh. if you're depressed... You get a six pack and then come back to me and tell me if you're still depressed. We've talked about optimizing all these different facets of your life. What are the actual results of optimizing these things aside from just vanity? Does it actually make a significant impact on your quality of life and internal metrics?
1: Yeah, like being lean is unquestionably good for health. Obviously that can be taken to the extreme with guys like Brian Johnson who calorie deprive themselves so aggressively that they then need to use Exogenous hormones to maintain decent function, um, and a lot of bodybuilders do that too. Self admittedly, they'll get shredded and use exogenous mm-hmm. steroids in order to maintain like high quality life. You know, uh, strength in the gym, muscle tissue to not have it deteriorate as they diet down, and they'll be at you know like single digit body fat percentage and be shredded walking around and still functioning well because they're literally shooting the hormones into themselves. So when you're doing it naturally, though, like there is a Goldilocks zone whereby if you're too fat, like it's not conducive to optimal health. And if you're too lean, it's also not conducive to optimal health. And having a good happy medium is like uh, unquestionably good in all metrics of health, essentially.
0: And mental health as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially like the impact has on brain fog too. eating the diet that is conducive to like a lean body composition and you being metabolically flexible and using energy efficiently for actual recovery of tissue that is metabolically active rather than just like having your blood sugar stay elevated and then you're sitting in your chair and not actually using it up for anything um you know you get into these roller coasters of brain fog and a lot of people who are more metabolically fit don't experience that how did you learn all of this how do you get into this um probably the same way anyone in their niche gets really deep so like in your niche it just you know you get enthralled in it because it interests you to no end so you just will sit there and in in just assimilate information all day even if you weren't making content about it you probably were interested in it to begin with and that's kind of like i think where the best content creators come from are people who would have done it anyways Uh, I'm not suggesting that you need to do that necessarily, but like for me, you know, from being a teenager, I've been ingesting information from wherever I can to try and get as knowledgeable as I can about anything that interests me. And I'm just the type of person that will sit there on the computer and just bury myself in papers and asking people anything I need to, to learn what I can. And, um, just always information seeking. I just really, I don't know, mentally get rewarded from learning stuff i care about.
0: Do you know why you're so interested in this specific field?
1: Um, i think cuz it, it affects like broad spectrum performance. It's not just performance in the gym or in sports, it's also mentally and it helps it's super overlapping with entrepreneurial endeavors as well. So, having a mentally dialed cognitive state is obviously incredibly conducive to high-quality work. Um, business acumen, performance in your businesses, etc. Like it all is overlapping and not just about health, but also about performance, trying to optimize all angles of that in order to not only stave off disease, maximize my performance, but also be able to impart that information to friends and family who otherwise are like blindly going through the medical system. Something that is what I'm passionate about and kind of led me down the telemedicine route, because in Canada, especially, you're kind of just told to um go home if you ask for anything and you're not like literally dying in front of them.
0: So what I find really interesting is I have a lot of friends that like have gone through medical school. I have I've met quite a yeah. few different doctors and stuff like that, and I like to ask what they teach them in medical school. And a lot of the times it's not natural and organic things that will fix these issues that I feel like intuitively could be fixed. Like mm. a lot of mental illnesses is fixed by fixed by giving like administering pills and medication and stuff like that, where I feel like if we tried some more like organic routes first, you'd probably yield better yeah. or at least more like foundational results. Yeah,
2: perhaps a lot of, I, I think depression is the one that's, that's brought up a lot. Perhaps result, for, for some people it's an underlying condition of, you know, uh, in the brain but for others it could be their environmental conditions or their situation that's really contributing to that so fixing whatever that issue is could solve their you know depression versus medication
1: oh for sure like i know some of the most successful people i'm sure you guys are yeah. very familiar with successful people that hate their lives too like it doesn't always mm-hmm. overlap where you know the more jack you are or the more successful you are equals happy and oftentimes there's like a hedonic treadmill where these people get happy and then they realize that wasn't what made them happy. And then they have this internal crisis about what actually is the meaning of life. And then they get sent down this rabbit hole and they're less happy than somebody who's, you know, just living an average life objectively. So, um, yeah, like a lot of this stuff can be fixed naturally. If they are a general practitioner, they may only get a certain amount of time with exposure to knowledge about hormones or to what have you. Um, and That could be to the detriment of being the person you want to defer to when you're trying to learn about a specific subsystem of the body. So if I want to learn about how hormones work, or um, you know, like uh, reproductive health or testosterone, like I don't necessarily want to talk to my family doc. I might want to talk to an endocrinologist, and that's why there's specialties where they lean into things heavier. Um, But even then, oftentimes you are subject to whatever the current curriculum slash literature says which might be outdated for all we know. So and oftentimes you'll see um, yeah people going to multiple specialists and getting told things that even as a just person who consumes YouTube on a regular basis you might be like, that sounds wrong. I've heard you know totally contradictory advice from men, multiple people now. I'm not saying use YouTube for your advice over an endocrinologist obviously, but there's certainly some element of uh, not every doctor knows everything. And there are amazing doctors that do great things. But just because your credential that doesn't equal, you know, the most knowledgeable always. So and yeah, a lot of stuff can be fixed naturally.
2: But you know what? Before we go into that, we have some really exciting news that we're now filming our episodes in 4K. This one is not in 4K, but the future episodes are all in 4K. The downside, though, is that it's very expensive to do. We need a lot of special equipment. But what's most remarkable is that we were able to grow to almost 900,000 subscribers without ever doing 4K. You don't need crazy equipment if you want to grow on YouTube, and our sponsor, StreamYard, is there to help. StreamYard is a
0: recording and live streaming software
2: that allows you to create high-quality content with just the click of a button. All you need is a camera and an internet connection, and you'll be able to stream right from your computer across multiple social media platforms at the same time time
0: like youtube instagram facebook linkedin and that feature in and of itself makes streamyard extremely worth it because what do you always say about being on every platform you're leaving
2: money on the table if you're not doing it Mm mm-hmm that's what I say, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Anyways, guys, if you want to be on every single platform, which is super important, you want to create high quality content with just the click of a button for free. They offer a free package with the link down below. It would mean so much to us. StreamYard also supported us all the way through 2023 mm-hmm. and they're supporting us all the way through 2024. So it would mean so much if you guys just click that link down below in the description, try it out, StreamYard. It's definitely worth it. Thank you so much, StreamYard. And back to the episode.
1: When was- did you start working out? Um, probably when I was... 17-ish. I was the last person in my friend group to start and I played basketball. I was like a skinny runt who didn't really care about working out at all. Yeah, Just what was the point? It didn't really help me shoot three pointers. So didn't really care. And then my friends just got really into it and peer pressured me into it essentially because it kind of got stupid being there and hanging out with them when they're you know, bench pressing and whatever, and I'm just standing there doing nothing. <laughs> so, so yeah, might as well join. Then I made some progress relatively quickly. And then I was like, damn, like, this is cool. I'm actually seeing visual changes happening. And then kind of, it's called getting the iron bug. You get bit by it. Yeah. 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 So I kind of got bit by the iron bug. And then um, it definitely superseded my, uh, I don't know, interest in basketball to where I just kind of leaned into <laughs> that and then continued thereafter.
0: Was there a correlation with gaining muscle and attention from women? Or was it your confidence that was affected by that that actually caused better or more attention from women?
1: The confidence component is definitely a huge variable that most people overlook. And actually, I would say that for the first few years, it was probably worse because I did a lot of like dirty bulking. I'm sure you guys have heard of dirty bulking. Oh yeah. 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 So you just eat anything because you think that gaining weight equals good even at the expense of literally becoming fat. So I gained like 60 pounds. I think 60 pounds. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think my first three months I gained 40 to 50. That's a lot. How is that 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 even possible? It's possible, trust You're me. You were eating
2: like eight, 9,000 calories yeah, a day? Yeah, well, much. no, I yeah. was just...
1: The thing is, is a lot yeah. of people don't actually count, and when you start counting to the calorie, yeah. you know, a lot of times you realize you weren't ingesting as much as you thought, or the opposite for certain obese people that overestimate or whatever, so or underestimate. So, for me, I was counting meticulously and also slamming like weight gainer shakes and eating really garbage food, like anything I could do, even to the extent that if I threw up, I would be like, oh, fuck, I gotta go eat again to make up for that, yeah, it got intense. So that wasn't normal. Yeah. But that was. So like, how
2: did you dial back after that?
1: Well, eventually, enough people tell you that are close to you and care about you that you're getting fat, and you should probably tone it back of it. And you know, the response at the time, is like you don't understand dirty bulking. This is how you do it. So they're just telling you you're fat. Come? Yeah. It came probably after the first year-ish. I just did like a little bit of a diet down. I like think I bulked up again thereafter and then I dieted again. It took probably like two or three cycles of bulking and cutting with the the next bulks not being as aggressive as the first before I kind of actually got to a body composition that looked like, okay, you're actually a guy who goes to the gym and works out. So and after it, that point yeah. though, I had enough muscle where even when I bulked up a bit, I was a lot more cognizant about how far I would take it. And also you have enough muscle tissue underneath that you don't look as fat because you actually have the muscle in conjunction with the fat that you've gained to kind of like, there are a lot of people with six packs that are bodybuilders that are still holding quite a bit of body fat, but they have so much muscle that are kind of like, they still look vascular. So at what point though, did that help you with women? Um, A few years in, uh, I probably didn't even talk to women for the first two years I was in the gym too. So I don't even know if you could count it as a fair comparison. But after I got lean, actually lean for the first time I started to kind of go out of my comfort zone more and had the confidence to go up to chicks and talk to them and strike up conversations in my university walking around. And I could have, there was definitely times though where I had as good or more success when I was objectively like perhaps a bit overweight too. So a lot of it is just how you're speaking, how confident you are, how your interaction goes, if there's chemistry, stuff like that. So. Some people definitely over optimize to the degree that they will not even talk to the opposite sex unless they're like cutting. So I don't suggest that.
0: Because, I've heard about that. Yeah. That like they, they, they don't take off their shirt until they're like lean. Yeah. yeah. And post cut. Is that just
2: motivation
1: to? Well, you definitely like stick get body it? dysmorphia once you get into this fitness industry, especially where you think that if you don't have a six pack equals I'm very fat. And.
2: Is that be just because you're around people and everyone has a six pack? So if you don't have one, then you feel it's like- It's not even that you're out.
1: around them physically, yeah. it's that you're looking at them on social media. And yeah. this is the norm of expectation in fitness. Like right now, I'm actually relatively untrained. I kind of like changed my priorities a bit in the past couple of years to where I am in the gym far less, far less than I want to be. And I think is optimal, but it was just at the expense of a lot of business stuff that was taking off that I just, at least at the time, unjustifiably justified it was worth not going to the gym as much which I'm trying to change this next year but like in that um domain it's kind of like when you get into the fitness industry you kind of get this assumption that everyone I don't know has uh you have this perception of what is considered good and it is like very very skewed to where me now compared to a few years ago people would be like you have a dad bod or you look out of shape it looks like you don't train anymore it's like to a layman objectively that's an insane statement but to like a fitness industry guy that actually might be a reasonable answer Mm -hmm. it's like Derek you look like you don't even fucking train anymore
0: well that's the thing it's like if I go on YouTube uh uh shorts or Instagram reels or TikTok and stuff like that the only stuff that gets views and does well are people that are just absolutely shredded so then Mm -hmm. sort of you disagree
1: yeah like I don't even take my shirt off really for videos. I don't even do training footage anymore. I used to back in the day, but lately I'm just like a talking head in in videos in front of a wall.
0: But what I'm saying, like, maybe it's just my algorithm, but like if the video genre is fitness, it's Mm -hmm. usually someone
1: with an
0: insane shredded body. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but you also, some of the most respected and successful people in the industry are individuals that don't fit the norm of the genetic phenom because there you'd be surprised like some people like sam sulik for example yeah he's an outlier and obviously he's like sauce to hell but it's uh it, not every guy who's that there are plenty of people way more jacked than him that don't get any attention and they post videos regularly like there's just a certain element that some people are very likable and post content that a lot of people relate to and or just like the person to some you know significantly greater extent but there are plenty of bodybuilders that are the most hyper extreme example of jack shredded whatever who have objectively low followings and then some that are on the other extreme like Chris Bumstead is like the most popular fitness person ever probably at least by proportional metrics obviously like Arnold back in the day was huge but I mean like sheer engagement wise now he beats like A-list celebrities so, and like, obviously you could argue, okay, well, he's the best physique and that it reinforces what I said, but it's like, there are guys that will have, don't even post their physique that are in the industry that still do very, very well too. And how is Sam so big?
2: He looks like a cloud. He's
1: big. Oh, like big. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I thought you were asking what? like popularity.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. I was uh, like, what do what you, a cloud no, and yeah. his YouTube channel? Yeah. Like, how's it? Okay.
2: No, but he's a, a massive guy.
1: Uh, yeah. Like genetics, you, steroids adhering to his diet uh meticulously and hitting his calorie and protein goals like the guy's life is essentially revolved around going to the gym and eating his meals and his content is entirely essentially dictated by following him do those things so when it's your job to adhere to it like I would say it's a bit more likely that you will and then in addition to that he's also a genetic phenom in that he hyper responds to what he's doing in terms of Hormones. Is, is, is he is he open about his steroid use i don't think he's ever said anything i've never about heard it, but i don't think so but i'm but sure, you say but based uh, on your knowledge you think oh, one million percent i would bet it, like my net worth on it so <laughs> with uh how could you tell wall you just said he looks like a clown I know, but like
2: <laughs> but you objectively you yeah, yeah. you have this this vision that you could say this person is on steroids. Yeah. What do you see that a normal person wouldn't?
1: I don't know how his brother trains, but like first of all, there's a pretty clear distinction between him and somebody who has very similar genetics and they both train and one looks like a amateur level or almost, I don't know, some people would argue that he's like borderline low-level pro bodybuilder within a couple of years and his brother looks like a normal guy still. Maybe his brother just started and this is an unfair comparison, but at the end sure. of the day, the progression he's made from what looked like a decent natural physique was so rapid that it would be unexplainable to gain that much tissue naturally it's just physically impossible so having gone to the gym for a certain amount of time and then to explode and gain 50 pounds of muscle thereafter it's just not a physiologic thing that could occur i couldn't that's probably the best explanation obviously you could look at them and objectively say this physique is not natural because it is X amount of pounds higher than what most naturals can achieve who are at the highest level of, you know, tested sport or whatever. Like there's a lot of metrics you could look to, but also it's just easy to see his progress is unnatural.
0: Do you think Sam has a responsibility to be open about his steroid usage with his platform?
1: Not really. I don't know. Like the guy, I think just by existing will encourage hormone use, unfortunately. And then some people will criticize him for that probably unfairly so because he's just a guy who makes content and wants to do what he does and maybe he competes one day, maybe he doesn't, but it's like, I don't think just because you're influential and look great and take shit equals you need to like, tell everyone everything. I think you have a duty to not lie to their faces about it probably, but, or to monetize in a way that is leveraging your like fake natural status in order to get rich off of products that are, you know, promising things that are just untrue. But above and beyond that, like I don't necessarily think he has to sit down and make a video and say, yep, as you guys probably guessed, I'm a natural. And like, here's why you shouldn't do it and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, people gotta kind of make their own decisions and take some responsibility. And I'm sure he did the same thing when he sat down, there was one day where Sam Su, like sat down as a natural and looked at probably YouTube videos, dug into some whatever research maybe, asked some friends like, is it worth it if I do this? Like, what am I trying to get out of it? He had that assessment too. And he was probably inspired by someone else. And should that guy have not been on social media being jacked and sick looking? I don't know. You know, did that guy have a responsibility to tell Sam he would have died if he took gear or something? I don't know. That's kind of a, you know, speculative thing.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your businesses. You have your clinic and you have your supplement business. I think it's the supplement business does like a hundred million dollars
1: or so a year. At least the- my I didn't first say million. anything.
0: The, my first million, they guessed. Didn't six to eight million a month. And you
1: agreed. (laughs) Cumulatively, across everything I am associated with, we're in, what is nine figures, 100 million plus, Mm -hmm. right? So that's territory. But I'm not going to get like hyper specific on which businesses do what and whatever.
2: How do you decide to turn this into a business? Um, which one
1: the like my channel
2: even or what do you mean? I guess everything, even the supplements, the your channel. Like, how do you decide to monetize your interest in fitness? By the way,
1: the thing I should preface, which I see a lot of people don't do is when you yeah. say 100 million, no one talks about net numbers. Oh, yeah, that's and yeah, like, let's not like a, a lot of times I see uh maybe business owners who are incentivized to actually show how well they're doing because they're part of some entrepreneurial like upsell thing. Like these numbers are not necessarily like the owner equals like yeah, this. Right. You don't keep this money. Like a lot of it's reinvested to build the businesses. And right. if you're,
0: you said 50 to 100 employees as well
1: per company. Yeah. Like I'm trying to, I just want to add a preface because a lot of people see these big numbers, especially as headlines, and they will very much take and run with that some unrealistic expectation of how business works. And, even if this is a goal you are considering pursuing, like understand that just these numbers don't mean your take home is some like, like you could live a very mediocre life and have like a company that is nine figures depending on what your goal is with it. So just putting that out there. Um, But anyways, the way transitioning into this was um, a lot about my content and what I would promote or give education about to begin with. So when I started making content about uh, nutrition, supplementation, pharmacology, hormone optimization, like it was very, very centric around these things to begin with. And oftentimes reviewing other companies that are, you know, at the cutting edge or doing things that I think are bad or good and giving my opinions. Um, oftentimes I would have affiliate relationships too, where I would have, you know, use my affiliate code to get, you know, kick back a commission, support the channel and using this product that I think is the best of this specific industry. And after a while, once you build up enough funds, I'm sure similar to you, you've made some YouTube ad revenue, you've made some affiliate commissions, you've had some sponsorships and it's like, okay, well, do I wanna build equity for this other company now? Or do I wanna go like pivot into my own thing? And is the bandwidth allocation of time worthwhile to actually lean into it? Or am I just taking away from my bread and butter and making that kind of calculation for me at least on my three main businesses, which is Gorilla Mind, Merrick Telemedicine and Intelligent Shop Those three things in particular, I feel like I have enough of a expertise in and care enough about personally to lean into as worth my time allocation. So like in particular, the gorilla mind company is dietary supplements, typically oriented around sports performance and energy drinks. More recently, nootropics, cognitive enhancement, that's kind of like the main products we offer. And then Merrick health is the telemedicine diagnostic side of things not a traditional TRT clinic. A lot of people title these clinics as TRT clinics and justifiably so for many of them, but we pride ourselves in being like diagnostic oversight and optimizing health before looking at any of these other things. So that's worth mentioning. Cause I think it's often these companies get lumped into this yeah. kind of like narrow, kind of like bit more sketchy territory, but it is a preventative medicine platform. And then third is intelligent shop, which is like men's Hair loss prevention in particular and the pharmacology around that is something I made tons of content on Mm -hmm. and is something I found very, very interesting. So making products that actually work centered around that. And then also something a lot of people don't know is I used to make fragrance reviews I am just like a fragrance connoisseur, so I would get girls to rate fragrances. Go to university. You get girls
0: and, to rate fragrances.
1: Yeah, if you look at some of my old videos, I would walk around university campuses and be like, "What do you think of this one compared to this one? Rate it out of ten. Which one's more sexy, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Do you put like
0: yeah. one on one armpit and the other one on the other? No, armpit? I spray
1: test strips. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just scared. how
0: do you get like a girl to AB test it? You know, so yeah, yeah, test he, strips.
1: Yeah, so they, it would be like a blind test because they don't yeah. see the bottle. and It's just on a strip, and they would give their opinion, and then these like fragrance battles get t- endless views. Like right. there's no time where as somebody who's into fragrances, you will not get views by getting attractive women to rates, even fragrances that have existed for decades. I don't know why. It's just like, even me, I like, I already want to watch me? it. Really? Yeah. I already want to go back. I'm
2: weird. It. I like the smell of gasoline and cigarettes. I don't know so why. So you would love yeah.
1: Fahrenheit by Dior. It is a very polarizing fragrance that only somebody who actually likes what you just it's, said it's so random it's sharpies as yeah. well sharpies i love sharpies yeah worth the smell like...
2: when you start up a car oh. It's think like that weird sort of like i don't know it's a engine smell like i like that. sure it's sure just... yeah dude especially if you're <laughs> like
1: uh if you can pull it off because yeah. again it, there's a certain scent that needs to be congruent with like you as a person to really not just come across as why do you smell like diesel engine or something (laughs) but like if you can pull it off it's a pretty sick scent. but um anyway so you should check that out but for me I would made all these reviews and I always thought you know it'd be sick if one day I had my own fragrances so this intelligent shop company is kind of like a miscellaneous self-care company but it's hair loss and hair loss prevention oriented products it also has skincare and then fragrances that I develop and I think we're launching our seventh fragrance this month.
0: So what are some of the crown winners of the fragrance AB test that you did on college campuses?
1: Ooh, um, from existing brands, things that I could recommend. um, Spice Bomb is a really good one by Victor and Rolf for winter and fall.
0: That one consistently won.
1: Well, why just for winter and fall? Certain fragrances have certain notes that are more conducive to be appealing in warmer or colder weather, and some actually stink almost when you're having it in the wrong setting or might be might be overwhelming. For example, if you had like a really boozy, sexy smelling fragrance in a date setting would be nice, but in the office would be quite off-putting. So, having something oriented for what you're doing. Or if you're in the gym, you wouldn't wear like diesel engine fragrance you know <laughs> people are like what the hell is this guy doing so <laughs> like there you would want to smell like you just came out of the shower at most if sure. anything so like stuff like that and having contextual situations that are conducive to like okay this one's for this this one's for this that's kind of like what we got did. it and okay. um yeah some of the best ones off the top of my head A really good cost-effective one, I would say, if people are looking for a summer fragrance that's pretty guaranteed to be a hit with women, is Nautica Voyage. I think it's the best-selling fragrance Mm -hmm. on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's like seventeen bucks for a hundred milliliters, and it's quite it's quite good. A lot of people have it, so it's common, but it's reliable on a budget for sure. I got Dior Savage. Savage. (laughs) Savage. I feel like I've heard you
0: know Jeremy fragrance.
1: Dude, that guy is a character. That's like,
0: I think that's like his favorite.
1: By the way, he's probably the first one. He's not, maybe he's not the first, but he's one of the first people that inspired like the whole fragrance battle thing. Mm -hmm. So some of his old videos are not as much as newer videos, but his older ones are like really entertaining. Well done. I wish he would go back to that style, but he's uh, been consumed by the TikTok dopamine Mm -hmm. circuitry, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But for... That one, Sauvage, is like one of the most widely appreciated fragrances, but to the detriment that it's not unique whatsoever. So you will almost certainly smell like some chick's ex-boyfriend if you wear it.
0: I want to talk about supplements because we had Dr. Mike on the podcast and he said the supplement industry is ripe with scams, basically. Like a lot of supplements are not regulated and you could kind of just like package anything into Mm -hmm. anything and then sell it as anything. Yeah, I think a lot of the claims
2: could not be tested and because they're supplements or they're all natural, Mm -hmm. uh, there's very little regulation with that. So people are trying to peddle anything because there's such high margins on supplements.
0: What supplements do you think are actually valid? And like like multivitamins, for example, I feel like everyone takes multivitamins. Is that something that people should be incorporating into their diet? And what supplements should people be wary of?
1: It very much depends on your individual situation, but I wanna try and be as general as possible because I could say for a multi, your diet could cover your bases mm. for all I know. A lot of people don't need it, but it's good insurance. Kind of it's almost like an insurance policy type supplement which i think is worthwhile for a lot of people but you don't necessarily need it for optimal health fortunately a lot of the vitamins in it won't actually kind of like accumulate you'll just urinate out the excess and you kind of know at least you're topping up what you needed and then the rest would kind of not stick around and cause harm as much but a lot of people are deficient in vitamin d it's like pretty damn common nowadays so i think that's a pretty impactful how one do you know if you're deficient in vitamin work. D? Okay, so you would check your vitamin D in a blood test, and it would show you are either. It's shocking how. Other symptoms to that though, or yeah. would you just not know? Low testosterone is one of them. Um, mood, emotional stability, even ability to build muscle in some capacity—like a lot of stuff—is mm. impacted by vitamin D. It's actually a hormone, technically. Like it's a steroid hormone, even though it's called a vitamin. Yeah. So it's pretty impactful on hormone systems in the body, and being deficient in it—it's like one of the few things that. No, what not one of the few things but one of the most impactful things is if you're deficient, it will markedly decrease your testosterone levels mm. and also your response to that testosterone as well. so people do notice yeah. a big difference. We had Ty Lopez on the podcast and he has a
2: vitamin D tracker based on the sun <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and like where he is on the world sure, sure. so he could go outside and say, here I only need 10 minutes, but over there I need an hour in the sun to get that vitamin D that sounds. Super fishy. <laughs> like almost more fishy than the age clock thing. No, so
1: right. I yeah, I don't know who
2: Does It doesn't matter if you're getting vitamin
1: D from the sun or like a supplement, or is vitamin yeah. D vitamin D? Like I would say in general, things you can get naturally are better and they go through an actual regulating framework when you're taking stuff naturally. Like for example, in foods, it'll have like cofactors and different things that support absorption or what have you that maybe in a supplement getting like a mega dose in one shot might not be the optimal way to do it. When it comes to vitamin D, it kind of, it's tough because oftentimes the way you ended up deficient to begin with is because your environment is not conducive to a good vitamin D level, unless you are intentionally depriving yourself of sunlight at which point it's kind of like just get outside more. And then if you're still deficient, like, I don't know, like it's also an efficiency thing too. Do I want to sit outside for how long versus, you know, like for me, I think a lot of people would benefit from a supplement, but I also think if you can get it naturally, like it's probably superior. Although I couldn't point to any literature that shows like an AB test of it. Um, so yeah, that's a super impactful one. Um, some other things, magnesium, a lot of people are super deficient in magnesium and that's super impactful on testosterone levels too, among other things, zinc impactful on testosterone. A lot of people are deficient, especially people who are avoiding red meat purposefully. I think beef liver is actually great as like ironic that the liver king is like gets a lot of scrutiny. One of the things he did say that is worthwhile, I think is liver on a regular basis. It's like one of the most choline dense, vitamin A dense, um, nutrient-rich foods in general. It's like nature's multivitamins, is what they call it. And I think that product, despite tasting horrendous, if you can stomach it, you only need an ounce Every couple of days, even to hit a lot of your micronutrient needs. And if you think it tastes bad, you could actually take a desiccated, like beef liver supplement that could be potentially impactful. So I think that's, you know, interesting to look at for sure. Um, in general, I would say magnesium, um, vitamin D are two that I see very prominently problematic that will actually notably impact perceived quality of life, sleep, hormone production, among a myriad of other things. So we could go down the rabbit hole as much as you want, but that's like off the top of my head a couple of things. How much liver do you eat? An ounce a day unless I'm traveling or I just don't want to eat it, which is relatively frequent. So sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll use a supplement myself sometimes.
0: So you're traveling right now. You're just in Austin. Now you're here in Vegas. You're here yeah. for like a week and a half, you said. Yep. How Are you getting liver while you're here?
1: Yeah, I just take six capsules a day. Oh, I'm getting- oh you take capsules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. So yeah, I don't love the taste of it, but I try to eat it when I can.
0: And what about vegetarianism? One of my very close friends is a vegetarian. He has been for like probably five years at this point. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's a diet that you have to be extremely cautious if you're subscribing to, to like making sure that you're getting every available nutrient? Do you think that objectively you're probably healthier if you're eating animal product?
1: I think that you will undoubtedly need to supplement with a few more things than the normal person to hit your nutrient needs, for sure. Bioavailable B vitamins, having high quality protein, because even if you get a gram of protein on a nutrition label for certain, like vegetarian based products is not necessarily the same equivalent impact on protein synthesis rates as like uh, meat derived, red meat derived, so. Um, you need to be a bit more knowledgeable, I would say. I don't think it's impossible to thrive on a vegetarian diet. I just think you need to be a bit more mindful of intake of certain things, like where you're getting your creatine from, where you're getting your carnitine from, where you're getting your bioavailable B vitamins, and sometimes supplementation is warranted to actually be able to adhere to the diet and still get the upside of these uh, vitamins and minerals and whatnot. Like Brian Johnson, like good luck getting all your stuff without supplements. Are there any ingredients that people should outright avoid? Like ultra processed stuff in general is typically going to be, you know, stripped of nutrients and or not that as helpful as the caloric equivalent could be of something that is like, I don't know, natural, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I try to get my, you know, micronutrients from food when I can, like actually eating liver versus taking it in a supplement. But it kind of depends on your workload too. Like exercise wise. I yeah. could say, you know, don't eat as much sugar because you're sedentary, for example. I don't know how much sugar you need to actually support your uh, demands. So it's like, if you are somebody who's hardly going to the gym or your workouts are very, very minimally intensive and don't require that much carbohydrate to support them, like maybe you can get away with less and you're just unnecessarily pounding sugar versus some other guy might literally need to have like shakes around their workout that are filled with, you know, sugar to help support it. And that's like the hyper extreme bodybuilder, but it depends on the person. I'm sure there are a lot of things that I am just not thinking of, though, that are really obvious, low-hanging fruit, things to avoid. Sure. What are your thoughts on fasting? I think that it is helpful for um, sustainability of caloric adherence for a lot of people, even for me personally. like I will wake up and try to not eat for as close to six to eight hours as possible, typically, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm going to the gym that day, maybe it differs, but... In general, that approach for me has resulted in an ability to eat the majority of my food later in the day, not so close to bed that it impacts my sleep. Cause again, you're backlogging your calories. Yeah. That could be problematic too, if you wait until right before bed. But for me, I am most mentally clear when I'm not eating. So if I could just work through hunger and use like minor tactics to kind of push my way through, um, whether that's coffee, you know, uh, chewing gum sometimes, you know, energy drink here and there, I find the same thing in the morning. If I don't eat and I just have
2: coffee, I yeah. find myself being a lot sharper. I could think mm-hmm. quicker. As soon as I eat for whatever reason, even if it's a small something, I slow down even at yeah. 10%, but still that adds
1: up over the course of a year. Yeah. So I've no, always yeah. just I done think, that. I think the validity of it is, uh, it's certainly there for entrepreneurs who want to maintain as sharp of a window of work as possible. Um, when it comes to actual diet outcomes, Some people really benefit from it because when they try and split their meals out equally over, oh, I'm going to try the traditional four or five or even six meals a day of equal split everything, they aren't able to feel satisfied off small portions. But then some people, like when you look to literature, you'll often find that it doesn't play out for the population that they're assessing relative to what another guy might find is best for them. So you almost need to experiment a bit. And fortunately with diet, it's not like, you're experimenting with a drug necessarily that might screw you up. Like if you try fasting, intermittent fasting for a couple of weeks and you don't like it, you know, like you tried it and it wasn't a big deal and now you can go back to trying something else or going back to what worked for you the best before. So I think it's worth everyone kind of experimenting, but I've definitely seen some super impactful um, situations where people went from a traditional, I need to eat right when I wake up to stretching their eating windows and then getting more work done being more productive also being able to eat less overall per day because they feel like a big meal is harder to overeat on than like little, small, tiny portions. So it depends on the person though, for sure. sure. And it's not necessarily the most ideal for building muscle, having all your protein like shoved into one yeah. or two meals. Got it. What's your recommendation for hair loss? Um, It depends what stage you're at and how aggressive you want to be. Because at the end of the day, unfortunately, there is a not really anything that exists that's super impactful. that isn't manipulating hormone systems. So when it comes to hair loss prevention, the best thing you can do is get in front of it before it's like cosmetically perceivable. So for me, it was not just accelerated by uh, anabolic steroids when I was younger, but in addition to that, once you actually visually see it in the mirror, like you have a 100,000 plus minus whatever, depending on ethnicity or whatever, um, uh, hair follicles on your head and visually if you pull one out you don't notice any difference in the mirror obviously but over time the miniaturization of these follicles will create a visual perception that becomes cosmetically significant after years of it happening to where all of a sudden one day you know in downlighting or a picture or whatever you start to notice oh, I can see my scalp and I couldn't see it before oh my like, I didn't even notice this was happening and usually it's like a pretty startling moment when people realize like oh shit I actually am prone to hair loss and it's happening but by then you've already lost like 20 30 plus percent of your hair mm-hmm. and oftentimes people will give you bad feedback you'll be like do you think I'm losing hair They'll be like no it looks fine it's like no dude you are not fine it has been happening insidiously this whole time so a reality check sometimes is that you know, recession isn't just indicative of oh, it's what happens to adults, and it's supposed to. Yeah. Like there are people like Ronald Reagan who end up at eighty nine, whatever he lived to, and right. had perfect hairline. Now, I'm not saying he used drugs to do it. He's obviously a genetic freak, but at the end of the day, if you intervene early enough, you could prevent you getting to that point in the time frame that you would have otherwise, if not staved it off entirely. So, yeah. getting in front of it is so much better than trying to make background because trying to yeah. recover dead zones on your scalp especially is like very difficult even with drugs so how do you get in front of it what's your recommendation to someone who's probably in
2: their 20s maybe starting to notice is what would okay you talk- let's
0: use me for an example here yeah. i okay. brought this up to graham he's like no no you're totally fine he did what you just said yeah, obviously yeah. i like i'll show off my hair right? So see how like at the corners, see how it's coming up a little bit right here, coming up a little bit right here. I'm mostly fine. Like I I feel like so confident with my hair, but I'm very worried that I will eventually lose it. That for me is like horrifying. And when I did start to notice like in the corners right here, like it coming up a little bit, it was like startling. Like you said, it was shocking.
1: With you too. If you want to know if you're prone rather than getting on drugs that you might be worried about, you could take good pictures and track over time and at the first sign of further recession, that could be your sign, okay, now I start taking it. Cause you could still like barely have any more loss and get in front of it before it's so bad that it's obvious. Mm Because for you, like you're pretty good right now. So if it were me and I was like actually averse to taking drugs, I would take a picture and find some landmark on your scalp that you could use as a reference point of recession and then use that as a gauge for as you get older is that, you know, taking progress pictures once a month or something, is that landmark, are you getting more recessed in that area relative to whatever thing you use as a landmark? Often people will find like a freckle freckle or something. something, something you should be able to use to figure it out. And at that point, if you're further receding at some rate that is, you know, noticeable at all, like you know that you're on your way there at, you know, a significant enough pace that it's going to be okay, well, when I'm 30 plus or however old, you'll be able to see it probably. So do I care enough at that point to get in front of it with drugs knowing that it's happening? Because some people could hypothetically get on drugs and maybe not have needed to. The likelihood is low because most people will end up with some degree of hair loss. It's just to what significance level will be dictated by genetics. So like Ronald Reagan didn't even need to take anything. Mm -hmm. Almost certainly, I guarantee, almost guarantee he was not on hair loss prevention drugs.
0: Alex Hormozy.
1: Dude, oh, incredible, incredible hairline. Yeah. It
0: like goes like it's, down. It's like yeah. he's got like maybe yeah, he's got an inch a ne- of forehead. he He's got a yeah. negative hairline.
1: Yeah. And you'll be like, what do you do? And he'll be like, he'll yeah. Be like oh. nothing. Yeah. He'd be like, yeah. He'll be like, what a ridiculous question. Like, what right. do you mean? Your hair's perfect. You fuck. So, yeah, yeah he doesn't, uh, he doesn't do anything. Yeah. So that's genetics, for example. But again, with him, you don't actually know that. I don't know what his dad looks like. Maybe one day, all of a sudden, you know, the switch flips because there are epigenetics that could, you know, at some point, the, rate of aging or his just the process of aging could trigger certain things that otherwise were not problematic so you could end up in a state of accelerated androgenic alopecia i think that's actually a thing where i couldn't point to literature that proves it but it seems like at some point some people do experience like acceleration or deceleration of certain things in the body depending on environmental conditions what have you but it's also i think genes can turn on and off depending on certain circumstances and certain switches could flip in a way that all of a sudden now it's like, now it started for him. Is that why they say stress exaggerates hair loss? Stress is more shedding. So it's called telogen effluvium. And there's a difference between shedding and actual hair loss. Because when you shed from stress, oftentimes you will see it come out in clumps in areas that are localized, not necessarily Mm. like symmetrically all the way across your scalp. So androgenic alopecia, you'll see, like a pattern of recession that is very indicative of like DHT affecting it versus if you had just like a bout of horrendous stress. Like for example, I had a friend who when he was trying to become a firefighter, he was getting hazed like crazy and he literally had like a patch fall out of the side of his head Mm. and it grew back white and eventually it came back. But like that's an example of alopecia caused by stress. Like it was not a uniform recession pattern that is indicative of androgens. So people have to remember there's a difference between hair loss and androgenic alopecia, which is like androgen-induced alopecia, alopecia being hair loss. Mm. So to in, get in front of androgenic alopecia, which is the thing most guys deal with, that is typically hormonal. So like in your case, I would use you know tracking to actually d- decide if you wanna take drugs or not, or if it's even necessary. And then at that point, if it's still happening, you're like, okay, wh- I wanna get in front of it now, how do I do it? The number one thing that is the most impactful is something called finasteride. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Inhibits the production of something called DHT, which is the primary hormone that dictates masculine characteristics. Like in adolescence, the thing that will differentiate and mature you as a male is DHT the most. Like if you don't have any DHT, you will end up with a micropenis, an array of features that are not representative of like a fully grown male. So DHT is like the opposite hormone to estrogen, essentially. And testosterone is like somewhat not in the middle, but it's like on the spectrum of androgen versus estrogen feminine Mm -hmm. versus mass and you can like you see this all the time in bodybuilding or in transitioning individuals manual manipulation of this that shows that even in adulthood people who are manually using these hormones can literally like flip-flop genders essentially because it's like there's nothing really differentiating somebody other than like anatomically to some extent but also in adolescence if you expose some girl to hyper androgenic state with exogenous hormones you could literally make her seem like a dude to any objective metric of somebody Mm. seeing her. They'd be like, that's 100% a guy, even though she might not be. So like these things can be manipulated to where if you take finasteride, this hormone DHT really has no impact on muscle growth, strength. The thing it mainly dictates is sebum production, which is like oil in the skin, essentially, Mm -hmm. Um, prostate size, it inhibits estrogen's activities in some tissues it does it does things that are important but it's more primarily in adolescence where you don't want to be inhibiting it because you will end up in a you may end up in a state of like hindered development essentially to say the least but in adulthood when you take it you could prevent the further miniaturization of hair follicles key note being the further miniaturization you're not going to necessarily reverse miniaturization you might get some regrowth as you mm-hmm. inhibit the process of expediting itself But ultimately, once you implement this blockade of hormone essentially, it becomes far more difficult to miniaturize at all. Because even in studies, we'll see individuals with deficiencies in the enzyme that makes this hormone, no temporal recession at all, less body hair, like everything about them is slightly less masculine by metrics of like male secondary sexual characteristics, but they never lose their hair. So it's like, if you can replicate that to some extent that is non impactful from a side effect context, you can kind of replicate that state to some extent in adulthood after you fully developed. And that's So kind isn't of the, that
2: just about waiting until you're already
1: fully developed to start Finasteride? Yeah, so like ideally you would wait until yeah. you're a full grown adult and then you would get on it if you need it. Um, the problem is that it's not a side effect free drug and some people end up with pretty significant issues, all but a minority they're a very outspoken minority, and justifiably so, because they have some pretty significant issues sometimes. No one should ever say, like, blindly, this is 100% safe, you will be fine. The likelihood is high, you'll have no issues. Like, objectively, by data, it's, like, very unlikely you'll have issues, but there is a possibility.
0: So yeah. if you have none of the negative side effects, is there anything just bad about putting in some manufactured thing into your system?
1: Like a synthetic drug?
0: Sure. Or just like, just finasteride in general. Like if the studies are showing, the data is showing that the likelihood of some negative byproduct to take this thing, the negative symptom is so small and you don't get any of those, then would you say it's fine? If you want to just take your chances.
1: Yeah, if you have no side effects, for sure. Get on that shit. I'm on dutasteride, which is like the even more aggressive format of finasteride that inhibits almost all of my DHT. Like my hormone levels on paper look like a girl for DHT. And yet I'm sitting here with a masculine voice. My brain's working well, at least to date, knock on wood. Uh, muscle is fine. Like nothing is perceivably wrong that would justify me coming off. And a lot of people are similar in that aspect. So I'm not to say that I'm the you know reference case whatsoever, yeah. but just giving like an anecdote of even in the hyper extreme, some people use Dutasteride too, which is like an even more aggressive drug and have no issues. There's like one guy who has a registered IQ that's like second best on the planet and he's been on Dutasteride for decades. Not to say that's a justification for it, but you know, it's good to see both sides of the coin because you often hear the horror stories. The thing with the internet, the most outspoken people are not the people who take drugs and get results and just like, don't care about it anymore. It's people who tried something and had a horrendous outcome and want to warn the world about it, which is fine. And I think they should, but when you take something like, for example, if you took Tylenol and it got rid of your headache, are you going to go on Reddit and be like, Took Tylenol. It was great. You know, yeah. covered my headache. Of course not. So with hair loss, a lot of guys they are like, Oh, I heard I should take Finasteride. I saw an ad on Philip DeFranco's show for, you know, keeps or something. I'm going to just jump on it. Mm-hmm. They get on it, stops their hair loss and you never hear from them again. And they never post about it. Cause why would they, but then people who take it, the, you know, whatever percent of people and they have some, either some minor issue or a significant issue that is like very noticeable. They're on the internet fucking talking about it. How do I fix it? talking with other people, your experience was this, oh, this happened to me. And I get it, but at the same time, I think it's almost like the positive results are underrepresented.
2: Yeah, anecdotally, I've talked to a lot of people who are on finasteride, and from everyone that I've talked to, only one person said they knew of someone who had negative effects, and
1: that stopped as soon as they stopped taking it. And part of the issue too is now with the internet, it's so well known, this stuff, that a lot of people placebo themselves into side effects. Yeah. So I'm not to say that the side effects aren't real. I know of people that I don't think are just placebo that have pretty significant issues, but a lot of it is like people do just fine. And a lot of people who do have issues, they're like, I think something's, I think my erection quality is worse than it was, but I, I'm not really sure. I'm like, is it really? Like if you I have benchmarks yeah you know, yeah gotta take the photo, <laughs> yeah. they they gotta photo. Do that every month take the <laughs> photo, man. they gotta do the brian johnson <laughs> yeah. thing where they like measure their penis yeah, yeah. every night but what about red light
2: therapy uh jack and i were actually at the gym this was maybe two months ago and the guy from iris store came up to me and said i'd love to give you the helmet just try it out uh we're not going to ask anything of you i just mm. want to give this to you let us know what you think and so i've been trying it but it's too early to tell
1: yeah for me what i have noticed is Almost nothing. So I have the most expensive custom version of that helmet made by a guy who literally all he does is man sit at home and create these with actual... There's like a difference between the lasers that are impactful on actually achieving the outcome you want versus like, as far as I know, there's LEDs and lasers. And what you want to get is as dense of a concentration of these certain lasers that impact the metrics of hair growth that you're trying to get out of it. And some of it is like the I restore stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of it is margin consideration oriented because it's like they have to market the shit of this thing and they can't afford the best most intensive device possible plus mm-hmm. all the marketing that goes into selling it plus maintain the margin. And hair growth is such a slow and kind of like ambiguous process mm-hmm. that it's very easy to even get placeboed into thinking it's working because you had a good hair day or whatever but most people who use it don't sustain therapy. So there's like a cop-out even where you probably didn't use it properly. And then in addition to that, it's not guaranteed to work for everyone is what they'll maybe assert at best. But in general, I have never seen anybody in my life, and I've looked into this shit to no end, have such a significant result that it like completely averted the necessity to use actual therapies that move the needle. So it was typically an adjunct that some people claim might've helped to some extent, but to put into perspective, like this stuff, very, I spent a significant amount of time researching it and spending my own money on things that I wanted to see how well they worked. And like, I spent, I don't know, like $2,000 on some device that was custom made with the most dense concentration of lasers you could possibly get legally. And I didn't notice anything. Now, did I use it long enough? Did I do it properly? You know, if I didn't, I don't think I would have seen if I continued, like it, it, even yeah, the, sure. it was just annoying to use too. Like that's a significant hindrance for me to add anything to my routine that is different now. It's not easy to work when I have this thing on my head, at least I found. See, I put it on before going to bed
2: or watching some TV or something like that. I put it on 12 minutes. I'm going to give it six months. Okay. Let's see what happens. I think I'm maybe like a month into it. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. The iris store. Yeah. If you don't have like an actual metric to go by to, it's very difficult to know that it worked or not because yeah. there is like a, um, hair hair analysis you could do to actually see per square centimeter like how many hairs are there versus mm-hmm. before and after, and that's how they'll assess treatment validity and clinically. And with this stuff, it's like you're just gonna go objectively by what your hair looks like in the mirror. And the likely outcome is you might be like, I don't know, it might have helped, might not. And Try. it's like for something to take up like however many minutes of your life on a day every other day or daily basis, it's like is that worth one percent of results? Typically, I would say no. And that's even me who cares about this stuff a lot. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. What do you think the obsession is, it seems in social media with testosterone? Yeah, like, I don't know what spurred it Yeah, for sure. Like, ultimately, it is the hormone that dictates muscle growth potential relative to your response to it. So I could see why people would focus on it. But it's interesting that it gets the hype it does, because there are other hormones that are just as impactful in their own unique ways, like estrogen or whatever. And no one really talks about those. But, yeah, testosterone is, um, if you're low, it'll, you know, mess with your life pretty significantly. You'll have a harder time building muscle, libido's down, et cetera. seems like I've
2: I've had a lot of friends, too, that have all recently gotten tested. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea my testosterone was this low. You know, it it explains so much. So I went and got tested. And I thought, oh, man, like maybe if my motivation isn't as good I'm not putting on as much muscle in the gym, like maybe I have low testosterone. And then I was also concerned that I've never been able to grow a beard. And I was thinking, oh, crap, like I for sure have low testosterone. It came back like 800 and something, Mm -hmm. like on the really high end. And so then I was like, well, you know, that doesn't explain I can't grow a beard. Is that just genetic?
1: Yeah, so genes will dictate often how your predisposition to certain things are. Like Asians, you will typically never see with thick body hair. Do they all have low test? No. You know, some of them, it's just the way their skin... I could I could probably find the answer if I dug in and found mm-hmm. like what is it about them that causes less uh you know proliferation of like hair follicle development or whatever but in general your hormones are going to enhance whatever your potential is but like for example if i if you shot yourself with Mr Olympia level steroid dosages you would not necessarily look even a semblance like them. Mm-hmm. You would max out whatever you could get to with your genetics, but ultimately those are your genetics. Just like Hormozzi shows up with a 120 yeah. test and the guy's yoked out of his tree. You know, like that guy, if he gets on testosterone, his 800 that he's manually adjusted to <clears throat> is like the equivalent of another guy with actual above average genetics getting on grams and grams of stuff. So the difference in genetic uh, response is huge and then also it's your body's regulating feedback in which it determines how much you need to fulfill functions so just because your testes shoot out 800 first of all it's a snapshot in time it mm-hmm. fluctuates wildly over the day so you could have 800 at the time you tested it but it could dip up and down throughout the day like up 300 now oh, doesn't doesn't yeah. mean that it's like good or bad necessarily and there is ways to use those numbers as guidance tools of like generally does this kind of like correspond to why I feel a certain way. I kind of understand like what's going on. It is useful, but the number doesn't always mean everything. So like, I know guys who have 500 total tests that are way more jacked than guys who have a thousand. Mm-hmm. It's just like your response. And it's not even just muscle. It's also like psychoactive activity. It's your, um, I don't know, ability to support bone strength. It's like, there's a ton of processes that are partially determined by testosterone and your body, the way it produces things, it's based on what it thinks you need based on the circumstance you've imposed on it. So for you to achieve whatever outcome your body deems as ideal, it's shooting out 800. For another guy, it might be 400. For another guy, it might be 1200. Hmm. It depends on the person. So, and that's not good or bad. It can be used as a proxy for assessing, in general, does this look low? And maybe that's explaining why I feel a certain way and have symptoms. But if you're symptom-free and your testosterone's like 470, for example, I wouldn't tell that guy like, oh, you're on the lowish end. You should probably take testosterone. I certainly would not do that.
0: So what are symptoms?
1: Um, Morning wood being gone is a pretty common one. Um, Erectile dysfunction, lack of uh, drive, motivation, general feelings of being tired all the time, unexplainably, emotional volatility, lack of ability to build muscle. All of a sudden you're losing strength in in the gym or it's harder to put on muscle or keep off fat. There's a lot of metrics that are kind of vague sounding. Like, Mm. how am I going to look in the gym? It's kind of arbitrary. Yeah, so that's kind of where the blood work helps correspond with the symptoms. So if you generally feel not great, it's worth checking. And especially one of the easiest ways to tell, in my opinion, is like erectile quality and libido and drive. That's kind of like one of the main, the main things I use as a tool for like, like no guy should be waking up or trying to have sex with his wife or whatever and like being incapable of doing so. They might have a vascular problem, which a lot of guys have heart disease or are on their way there. So that might be causing the erection issues too. But that's where the blood work helps. Cause it's like, oh, well, my testosterone levels look normal as do the other hormones in that subsystem. But my other markers that are like circulatory look mangled. And then it's like, okay, well, is that the cause of my erection issues? Maybe it's not the testosterone so blood work ultimately is useful to actually get really granular and figure out what is wrong with me and why or where could i optimize should i optimize and getting like a full picture do you feel like people are using testosterone as
2: almost a band-aid to improve their life in some sort of way
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i think especially in the entrepreneur side of things these guys are like and again it's like is that bad necessarily who am i to say that you shouldn't do that to your body you can do whatever you want but yeah, like I think a lot of people are the sexy idea of TRT, like, oh, you know, that's going to help enhance my mental drive, productivity, muscle growth, etc. Certainly could, I'm not to say it's not, like it actually is impactful, especially as you get 35 plus, you will reliably in general, this isn't everyone though, your testosterone may go down upwards of like a percent a year in perpetuity. That's just you deteriorating as a human, unfortunately. And at that point, is it, unwarranted to supplement back up to what you were when you were 21. Yeah. It's like, for some people, they're definitely in that fringe, like weird gray area where it's Mm. like, you know, I like, I feel pretty okay, but like, I probably don't need it, but maybe it would help. And it's kind of like, there's no like real way to define at that point. Should I be doing it or not? All you need to know is what goes into it though. And what circumstance you're imposing on yourself and the risk to make that decision. And then you have to make an educated uh, path forward yourself, essentially, because it's like, okay, do I care about now having to monitor my fertility metrics all the time? Do I want to have a kid? When do I want to have a kid? Um, Do I care about having to monitor my blood work to make sure that my injection schedule isn't resulting in too much red blood cell production? I'm going to like increase my chance of a heart attack. There are certain things that you got to be mindful of. Um, Do I want to be injecting something for the rest of my life? You know, do I want to be, uh, have atrophied testicles, which can be—you can do things to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But like there are considerations. of like, all of a sudden your life involves many more pro- things to look at that you yeah. didn't even think about before.
0: What about other things that people ingest, like like weed or mm-hmm. alcohol or microdosing, even microdosing? What are your thoughts on those things? I don't know if you partake in in any of those things.
1: In general, for anything that is not enhancing of like productivity and could cloud my mind or I don't know, some people could assert that they're like creativity enhancing, but that doesn't really help me as Mm -hmm. much, at least what I've determined in my work. So I don't microdose with anything. I don't use psychedelics. I don't smoke weed. I don't want something that messes with my hunger. I don't want something that messes with my sleep quality, which weed will do to some extent. Um, To me, it's never been, those aren't drugs that I even really look at that closely because I, they don't, aren't conducive to the state of mind or state of uh just whole body anything Being. that i want to be in so will they be impactful on hormone levels though if that's the question or
0: just just in general
1: i also saw i remember like
0: for some reason i think about this still to this day uh steve will do it said do you know who that is mm-hmm. so he said i only got to work out high if i'm working out high you know i'm gonna have a good workout <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an impression thank you yeah yeah so he like feels like Jesus man. Come on, dude. You feel like you got to really break those oh, out yeah. right now? Jackson have an error. Jack ask him the question. You've been you're curious about this question. First we got to do this
1: though. Oh, you know we're all, we're all So, doing this. yeah. So,
0: How often yeah. do you look in the mirror and flex?
1: Not as much as I used to. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> 5 times small. a day or No. 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 You guys just had to on, so <laughs> this is not even like a comparable situation.
2: I'm curious in my situation, I go to the gym pretty much every day i do 20 minutes of cardio in that workout which is usually about an hour yeah. i think i eat pretty healthy i don't eat dessert most of the time i try to stay away from sugars i cannot seem to lose the belly fat yeah. that that obscures the lower like you know third of the abs mm-hmm. it's been like a year no matter what i do it seems like it's hopeless and do you count calories no But (laughs) I don't. (laughs) But like objectively, I'm not eating that much. So like I kind of think you know if if I'm on the treadmill for 20 minutes on the highest incline, I know I burned 200 calories on that thing. I'm working out. I'm not eating that much. You know the coffee. I barely put any creamer in the coffee. Like I'm just thinking, it. I should be seeing some results here. How many grams of protein
1: do you eat per day, and how many calories do you eat? Can you answer either of those? No.
2: Uh, I would I would guess within a range, but I wouldn't answer precisely. Well, there you go. Yeah. So like
1: oftentimes what people find is at the end of the day, if I'm, yeah. let's just say my maintenance calories, which is the calories I need to maintain my body weight. Let's just say it's like 2,800, for example, with my exercise and everything I'm doing. A lot of times what people will end up is in a situation where they are very close to their goal and then wreck it with like minor little things that they're not accounting for not counting very basic condiments, stuff they're putting in shit, little things that all add up. And that compounded over time, similarly to investing, equates to an outcome that is not optimal. However, if you're even in like a 200 calorie deficit, which is not that hard to dollar cost average in your diet, over time, the compounded outcome is you being, losing multiple pounds over the span of a year to where your body composition at the end is you, you know having satisfactory results yeah. versus you having no results. So it's like the in the micro, the, the little choices that you're not counting, like the fact that you've even told me you're not able to, you don't know what the calories are exactly, but you're pretty sure you're in a range of, but you're not able to lose the weight that you want to lose mm-hmm. or you're not able to gain the muscle you want and your hormones look good on paper. Again, obviously there's a response to the hormones yeah. can differ, but ultimately if you have not counted meticulously, like if you are counting, with extreme scrutiny, it's literally a physical impossibility to not lose weight. Do you think there's anything, any merit to, let's say, not eating enough
2: and your body's kind of like holding on to what it has because it's like you're eating at random times or I'm not
1: eating for the first half of the day. Like you're either expending more than you're taking in or you're not. Like there's a very like it's, you know, one or the other. What about not drinking water? Because I realized all
2: day today, except for a little bit this morning, I've not had any water just besides... Yeah, it's not great. It.
0: <laughs> that's what I tell him. That you is think, like you, one of my main do you do you more gripes. More water? I, 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 yes. I, I
1: don't think you're going to yeah. like not lose weight because of inadequate hydration though. Yeah. But what I would do that's a really good hack is get a water bottle that is like, Big enough that you only need to refill it once a day oh, or I d- something. I did that. I did that. I went on Amazon. I got the one where
2: it's like a gallon yep. or it's like a gallon and a half or whatever it was. Yep. And there are different markers that say like, by this time, drink this much, by this much. Yeah. And I did it for a few days, but I was just peeing like five times, you know, before noon. It was, it, it got too distracting because like mm. every 30 minutes, I just had to get up and go pee. Well, stagger it out <laughs> more maybe. I don't know. Like
1: ultimately, there's a yeah. certain yeah. amount of hydration you need. And then if you're pissing it all out, like I would wonder... You know, like, what are you eating? That is, but you know
2: what, maybe for me, I'm smaller, so I don't need the full gallon of water. Yeah, yeah like, like there's, for general, some, yeah. there's
1: general rules to follow. I could pull up the calculation, I forget what it is, that's like a good general range of yeah. a, like a target each day. But yeah, man, like, ultimately, if you're counting meticulously, like, you can pretty reliably determine even how fast you will lose. So, I don't know if you track the scale closely, but you should be weighing yourself once when you wake up, after you take your morning piss, That's your metric that you're using. And Mm -hmm. over the week, you will have an average of numbers that you either gained or lost. And yeah, the number will fluctuate up and down based on water retention, food that's in your stomach versus not at some points. And that's why some days you might actually gain weight even though you ate in a deficit. But over the average of the week, you will lose weight if you're in a deficit in general. Yeah, I think the only way I could be screwing this up, honestly, is just all you could eat sushi. I would At the one time. I would also... Say that if you're not tracking your protein, similar to what you asked earlier about, if I'm eating in a deficit, doesn't matter if it's Oreos or whatever, it will affect your body composition. So even if you lose weight, you don't want to end up skinny fat, which is a situation a lot of people end up in where they're like inadequately muscled, but they've lost weight. But a lot of it was lean muscle that they relied on that was expending calories at rest because muscle is metabolically active tissue that while you're sitting here is burning up more calories than your fat. So like being as muscle bound as possible is like pretty key too for more sustainably staying lean and it's just healthier than having fat on your body to be yeah. honest. So that protein, calorie counting, but also I don't know what your training's like, but I think a lot of people overlook the importance of like tracking the weight. So yeah. keeping a log book, even if it seems cumbersome and annoying if you're not like actually holding yourself to a standard of progressively overloading, you're not giving your body a reason to adapt. So you could go in the gym and actually work pretty hard, but if it's not something that is over the threshold of necessary to stimulate further growth, you will kind of be not making progress, regardless of everything else looks good. Like you could could lose weight and like, you know, achieve certain metrics, but you'll never optimize if you're not trying to gain muscle, progressively overloading, tracking numbers. And yeah, some people can intuitively do that. Some people need to write it down. And I don't think that's a problem. Like if you're in the gym and last week you did, you know, 50 pounds on the dumbbell press for 12 reps per set, like next time try 55 on set one and then do like, you know, 50, 50 or whatever. And like, try to, you just have to impose constant levels of adaptation similar to what you do in anything in life. You're not gonna adapt if you don't push yourself into an uncomfortable state to some extent. So, got
0: it. I think Graham also needs to do legs. He never oh. has legs. And, oh. and wouldn't legs be good uh, Jack, for weight loss? Because like you said, if you have muscles, they metabolize faster than fat. So if he had muscles on his legs, yeah. then it would be good for weight loss.
1: Yeah, assuming you're, that's a pretty big muscle group. says yep. so. Why are you
0: going to call me out
1: like that, Jack? you got to <laughs> edit that out.
0: I'm trying to provide constructive criticism. Gotta, but would, gotta would gotta working out. out legs, that's good for weight loss, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm. But you could also work out legs on the
2: incline. On The treadmill right at 15 incline. So like the top uh, incline it's not the that city. does something though, right? That's well, pretty good. it's better than sitting. Yeah For sure. So technically
1: do what you could do yeah. I don't like this It didn't work out for me and I'd never use it But it's a desk that you can move to standing yeah. and then putting like a small treadmill in it or something So whenever you're doing I can't focus when I do this, but some yeah. people do great when you're doing like tedious meetings that you don't necessarily need to have like perfect sound quality or potentially if you're just like reading through emails or reading reports that you could focus on that don't require like the most intensive attention getting steps in while you are working could be done too it's just like yeah i don't That's know how a I lot
2: prepare of for podcasts is always
1: on the treadmill and i just
2: download videos
1: and i watch them okay it. there you go yeah but yeah man like uh download like my fitness pal or something like a free yeah. app and you just track the calories and it'll make a difference yeah
0: what do you think about Adderall? Negative side effects. Do some people need it? Do some people not need it? Is it overprescribed? How do you know when you need it? How consistently should you take it if you're taking Oof. it?
1: All right, let me try. I have a lot, <laughs> I I really have really a lot of questions. And sure. I've,
0: I've I've spoke about this actually in a brand deal that we had with, with BetterHelp. But I said that, so I, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I got prescribed Adderall. I took it for about two years straight every single day. At what age? Uh, I was... Probably 19 to 21 and or maybe, maybe 20 to 22.
1: What was your dose? Uh,
0: I initially started out, I think at 10 mm. and then I got up to 20 XR and I was taking 20 XR every day.
1: Yeah. So there's a few things I could say. I think it is over prescribed. First of all, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that, uh, they have ADHD when they might just have like bad sleep patterns or lifestyle because like at the end of the day the thing that's the most impactful on your cognitive state is going to be diet um exercise sleep like you could take any amount of drugs it will not make up for those things as like boring as that might sound um even when you look to literature you can offset deficits in performance when you're sleep deprived through these drugs often like modafinil and whatnot but you will not really enhance your state Above baseline, at least by studies, if you are well slept and like in a good state for working, but you know, I think it is overprescribed. I think a lot of people are using it unnecessarily. I think a lot of people think that they tie good outcomes to it because they used it and then something good happened while they were on it, or they felt like they were more productive while they were on it, so then they need it and they tie that to that activity to like I need it in order to work now. It's almost like the crutches, like Hormozy talks about. Like you don't want to be the guy who needs Adderall to like do good business. You know, that guy's gonna get decimated by a guy like Alex who can be underslept and doesn't need anything. So with that, it's like, yeah, there are negative side effects. It will reliably increase your heart rate, blood pressure. Um, While in general, that could be relatively benign in the short term and like the studies they look at. In the long term, that compounded with everything else, it's just another risk factor that you're adding into the equation. And with XR in particular, it's called half-life. It's like how long it takes for half the drug to work its way out of your system that half-life is so long that it's almost certainly impacting your sleep quality to where it's like a vicious circle effect where you take it in order to be as cognitively dialed as you can. It's still in your system. When you go to bed, you get poor sleep, and then you need Adderall to fix your state because you feel like you're not sharp enough and then you just keep, it keeps going. So I see a lot of people end up on really high dosages and yet their state of mind at that point they got to is often worse than them at baseline. Like before they even started it. So I'm not to say it doesn't have utility at all. I think in certain circumstances, like if you are sleep deprived to hell and you like need to attenuate the deficit in performance because you're about to do something that is, you know, you can't not perform, like, you know, could be worthwhile. And it definitely shows in the literature that is like caffeine, modafinil, all these things can make up for deficits in sleep in the short term. But at the end of the day, it could be at the expense of tomorrow's sleep and then in perpetuity thereafter, if you continue to push it down that road. So, um, And also stimulating like synthetic release of dopamine and like stress hormones, or kind of like fight or flight hormones. Um, Neurotransmitters that are like stress inducing aren't necessarily always conducive to high quality work. Sometimes you might feel like you're revved Mm. up and you're mentally driven, but you're kind of like, some people just end up more all over the place. In addition, at least for me, Adderall makes my libido go through the roof. So for me, I actually get almost preoccupied with sex when I take it to the point that it's like, whatever increase in performance I might get is offset entirely by me wanting to bang my girlfriend like three times. And that's not good for work, you know? It's hard to focus when that's happening. So like, I know some guys who literally say when they take it, they just end up jerking off all day instead of working. That's an actual outcome that happens. (laughs) Yeah. That's, That's crazy. Yeah, Cause it's like when you're flooding your brain with like feel-good, dopaminergic activity, Yeah, it's not necessarily always going to translate into like, I'm gonna make good YouTube videos or I'm gonna write a good paper for school. Is that just discipline or is that how the mind is wired? It depends on the person. Okay. Yeah, because like some people take it and don't get an effect on appetite too. But a lot of people, like me included, if I take it, I have no appetite. I could not eat pretty much all day. So, And that's another way people abuse it, especially in the fitness industry is they take... I, they either smoke or they take a lot of nicotine or a lot of caffeine or Adderall. It'll crush their appetite in order to not eat. And they take steroids to offset the loss in lean muscle. And they will basically get, be like shredded all the time and offset any like deterioration of performance. At least they try to through like stimulants, steroids, et cetera. So, you know, that's all to say that if you have ADHD and you need it, like I'm sure there is an actual utility where it is needed because there are certain people with certain genetic predispositions neurologically that I couldn't speak to like, you are lying about your situation. Like they probably need it. But I think a lot of times it is too general of a classification that doesn't take into account like all of the variables. Because when you go in for an Adderall like assessment, if you are somebody with ADHD for Ritalin or Vivance or any of this stuff, they're not gonna ask you like, have you tried optimizing your sleep yet? Like, what's your diet? They and don't know. yeah, it'd be like, write this checklist. And it's like, do you feel, I don't know, unproductive? Or do you feel like you get distracted more than X times per day or whatever? And it's like, I kind of, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, I think a lot of people are getting on it that don't need it. And I think a lot of people are using it for the purposes at which I don't know, in the short term for certain like circumstances, it could be helpful. But like, it's certainly not an everyday med that you would want to do.
0: So I think my concern with Adderall and everybody thinking they have ADHD, because if you talk to people that are my age, I'm sure a lot of the commenters can attest to this. Everybody thinks that they have ADHD, but I think that it's more just a cause of spending so much time on like TikTok, Instagram with commercials, distractions, all of these things that give you instant gratification kind of turn you into a proxy ADHD person. Mm -hmm. But then it was actually when I started going to therapy as actually BetterHelp, they pointed out some things where before I had TikTok and all these distractions and I couldn't watch TV until a certain time of day, it's like, did you experience this when you were a kid? And it's like actual things that are indicative of it. And I relate it to when I was a kid. That for me was like the most mind blowing. But I feel like everybody thinks nowadays that they suffer from ADHD or yeah. just have it. I shouldn't say suffer
1: from yeah, it. Yeah, like a lot of people I know now have burner phones intentionally. So the only thing their phone does is like emergency functions. And then the, the phone that has social media and stuff on it for work is not around unless they're posting, and then they get rid of it immediately. Like Joe Rogan, for example, he has a burner phone and it has like nothing on it. And That's that make a
2: great product. It's just a like a really nice like that ladybug thing. Yeah, it's like that? an optimized phone without any apps or anything, where it's just a phone and texting.
1: That's it. Doesn't let you download the stuff you mean? Like it's just like it's just well, just there phone is and one texting, of those actually. What? I
0: saw it. It's a commercial. It's like also in black and white.
1: It's yeah, like well, a, yeah, one of the hacks too that I got from Alex is you go into your color uh settings in your phone and you yeah. can turn it on grayscale yeah. and it like cuts the dopamine kind of spike from social media a decent amount
0: yeah uh, you just want to spend less time on. Yeah, your phone. yeah yeah
1: it's like far less interesting to scroll mindlessly when you have like no vivid colors blasting in your face mm-hmm. yeah so like there's stuff you can do it's just like obviously it takes discipline too to even avoid like don't go get the actual phone like leave it you know isn't it better though just to practice discipline at the end
2: of the day of just setting boundaries for yourself and sticking with it what i
1: will say though dude is as much as i would love to say that everyone just needs to like you know get their shit together and be as disciplined as possible some of the most respected people some of the people i respect the most in health fitness whatever they also just like employ practices of not having it in the house to not have to deal with it like their strategy is ultimately don't have it around as much as I want to say like do you guys just have like the insane mental fortitude and you haven't like ate shitty for so long that you just don't care about it anymore they're like no I actually like don't have it in the house because if I do I will eat it I'm like damn even like the most respected, yeah. qualified guys. Uh, yeah,
2: that's kind of like me with desserts or sweets. It, it's the sweets that you can't stop with just one, like having M&Ms yeah. or Oreos and things like this. I really try not to keep them in the house because it's so easy just to eat one. Yeah. And then one more and one more and one's not bad, but it just yeah. it,
1: it rarely ever stops at one. And like you only have so much mental fortitude that gets chopped away at over the day that, you know, and this is why people often snack at nighttime or do whatever and like make, you know, uh, I don't know, like, a they will basically cave at the end of the day on themselves and like completely fuck up their diets for an array of different things. But the less things you have to impose mm. on your environment that make you have to dig into that mental fortitude, like the easier it is to just like smoothly cruise through life and not cheat on the diet, for example. So yeah, like Peter Atia, for example, super respected guy. He has multiple kids who do sometimes eat good snacks. And now what they do is they take the kids out for ice cream whenever they want ice cream not have ice cream in the house like he will drive them to an ice cream place and get them ice cream but he won't have drumsticks in the freezer because he will decimate them self-admittedly which i think is cool because a lot of guys could act like and very much would like i'm this hard guy and like i have the insane mental fortitude and just don't be a pussy don't eat junk how could you you know just just don't do it easier said than done for a lot of people so yeah like for me i try to i try my best to not have stuff in the house it's like my hack if you can call it that Peter also brushes yeah. his teeth right after dinner, like he does his whole like brush routine right after he finishes eating, because if you're around for hours before you go to bed, you're more likely to cheat. Skip. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> yeah. trying to impose on yourself having that. You feel like a double idiot if you brushed right. and flossed and did everything, and then you have to do it again because you wanted to eat like an almond or something.
0: I feel like David Goggins is the only person out there with real discipline. Imagine <laughs> it turned out that he actually was like a he's totally like totally dude. snacking, <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that guy is like it's wild too because I've I asked Joe like I don't know David myself but I was like is there any like pivotal event that kind of like he was self-admittedly he used to be fat out of shape and something triggered in him that made him adopt this hyper disciplined like approach to life and you know perhaps it's in his book and I should just read the book but it's like it's interesting how some people are you know not the representation of health and discipline, and they even pivot thereafter despite having decades of like bad habits. So obviously it's something you can change, but I certainly wouldn't use David as like the reference of like he does this. <laughs> that's the benchmark. So I should be able to like right. keep drunk in my house, do this, do that, and just avoid everything bad. I don't think that's the reasonable goal for most people. How do you think you can
0: increase discipline for people? Because I know so many people and I think discipline is just plummeting. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, it's like bad how quickly it's just falling off of a cliff. How can people hopefully grab onto the discipline and like bring it back up there?
1: Um, I do think that maybe as redundant as it is, imposing less situations where you have to dig into like situations that require your mental bandwidth allocation to be disciplined equals a greater amount of like a resource to allocate to actual things that are worthwhile rather than like, literally thinking in my mind how to avoid a drumstick in my freezer like just don't have it in the house like that's something that I think is reasonable um I think also setting like micro achievable goals that you can get that feedback from is worthwhile so like if you don't go to the gym at all rather than expecting yourself to be in this perfect you know routine immediately just like let's just show up you know show up and like get on a treadmill or something like just getting to the gym is like a you know, a task in itself for some people as absurd as that sounds and just setting like progressively overloading your goals as dumb and workout bro, as that sounds, it's totally applicable. You know, like even when you're setting your goals for the year, if I want to hit this many subscribers or I want to get this, or I want to do that, like a lot of things are more daunting in the macro, but when you get granular on the micro, like they're far more achievable and a lot more easy to wrap your head around how you could actually get to the macro goal. When you look at, look at all these micro increments that if I just hit these, at the end of the day, have compounded to this like finality and conclusive outcome that is huge. So like, you know, for me, I even try to get granular about like how much, you know, how many, if I was posting regularly, how many views do I think is reasonable to get like per day or like what's a subscriber per day metric that is I think good to achieve good growth of the brand or revenue per day that is going to be sustainable to achieve this end outcome at the end of the year that I think is a good year. Like I don't look at, I don't really look as much at end your number as i do on the micro what do i need to do like this week to actually equate to the habits that would result in that final outcome and i think it's a lot easier for people to actually get out of a funk or discipline themselves to start because otherwise it's too daunting to even do anything seemingly um so those are two things that i think are pretty actionable um but um also it's like the lifestyle things we talked about like if you're low on sleep like good luck you know, you're, it's going to be far more difficult to make rational decisions. You're going to be more emotionally volatile. It'll be, you almost can't even trust your mindset when you are in a suboptimal state of health. So I think just getting as healthy as you can and dialing in things that are really low hanging fruit, like everyone's bed is in their house. Everyone is capable of getting in it and getting eight hours. It's just like most don't. So, you know, that kind of stuff makes a big difference too, on your decision-making process. And am I going to sit here and play video games? Cause I'm kind of like feeling down. I kind of want that dopamine hit of Whatever versus am I going to go work? So hopefully that's helpful for some people. It sounds
0: like the main thing here is sleep. Like that's the thing that you consistently bring up over and over and over again. And I'll say in my own life, I've tried so many different hacks to try to improve like the way that I feel when I wake up in the morning or just like maybe my overall mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And the three things I've noticed actually have an impact because usually I don't see any results with all the things I've tried Mm -hmm. is sleep, diet, and resistance training. There you go. Those are the three things. And yeah. sleep is so It is, But sometimes crucial. you could sleep too much. And I uh, feel just
2: as bad sleeping too much as I do under sleeping.
1: That's also probably a bit psychological too because you know you just wasted part of your valuable day. So I'm not necessarily saying you should oversleep by yeah. any means. You should go by like metrics of like you can tell when you've had a good sleep and sometimes it's not always reflected by the number. So like if you get up at seven hours and you feel great, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to force yourself to stay in bed for eight. Mm -hmm. And if you feel underslept at eight, maybe you need nine that day. I don't think people need to get too hyper specific about this, but it's worth like whatever you need getting it, (laughs) I think is like at least worth seeing on a regular basis. What's my month look like with actually trying to hit at least eight hours or whatever makes me feel good and not making myself get out of bed when the alarm goes off that I set for five and a half hours because I thought I'd get more work done because at least pretty reliably, you will find that your quality of work is so much worse proportionally that it does not make up for the hours that you lost by getting up early. So, or not getting up early. Yeah. Do you
0: ever meditate or journal?
1: No. And I think that some of that stuff is often over hyped as to its impact. But I also think that it's like free. And I think a lot of people do benefit from it. So I think if you're somebody who finds benefit, um, and needs to like reflect on things or needs to calm down and that helps you calm down by all means, I don't think it's not helpful. I just don't feel it's, uh, I don't like, I, I wouldn't want to do it and I don't do it. Some people notice big benefit from it though. You know,
0: I notice a good benefit from journaling Because a lot of the times if I'm struggling through some sort of an issue, I start just writing and it just kind of tracks what my mind is, is thinking at a given moment. And then it always starts out really negative. But by the end of the journaling session, it turns out very positive. And I don't know what it is, but like, I feel like you automatically want to spin things in a positive way. And it is only how you let it affect yourself. So if you let it affect yourself in a positive way, it becomes a positive thing. And so that's where I found the benefit Mm -hmm. in journaling is just that.
1: Yeah, I think if anything is actually impacting your ability to perceive situations and like emotionally respond in a more favorable way and it only took you like sitting down and writing about it for 15 minutes or something, like mm. do, that, do that for sure. Some people like think about stuff in the shower. Some people think about it while they're walking. Some people talk to their significant other, like people have their own ways of working through stuff. And just because somebody doesn't do it, who you respect, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. So I'm sure there's lots of people that do and don't journal who are like successful or whatever.
2: Let's switch. Let's talk about prime hydration. (laughs) Logan Paul called you a virgin. So you responded with a three-hour video. (laughs) What situations do you think that prime would be good?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, if you are um, somebody who wants something that is artificially sweetened and tastes very good to enhance your fluid intake, because some people just don't drink enough water, at that point, I would say the whatever potential negatives come from artificial sweeteners, which are very speculative and not really founded by literature and humans. If you're literally not going to drink water to a degree that it's impactful on your health in a negative way, but you will drink that much fluid with this stuff that's like super sweet, whatever, especially if you have a kid and he's just refusing to hydrate properly, then yeah, that could be helpful. Because a lot of those, like it's kind of wild to me because despite them getting older, like Logan and KSI are like, almost 30 or 30 their fan base seems to stay around the same demographic almost like it's just Matthew McConaughey he gets older but they stay the (laughs) same age yeah literally (laughs) I do think that some of those children may like I've heard of insane examples where kids will literally if they don't want to eat what their parents have for them that they deemed as healthy they'll just like not eat or they'll do things that are I don't know, like they will avoid drinking enough water because they just don't like to taste the water. It doesn't taste good. So if the only way it's going to get them to hydrate is by drinking this stuff, like could be could be worthwhile. Um, Other than that, though, it's like or if they're potassium deficient, which is some people are in their diets, could be helpful too. a lot of people have sodium rich diets that are aren't exercising regularly and aren't sweating a lot and don't need more sodium in a hydration drink. So those individuals, if you're gonna like pound an electrolyte formula, which you probably didn't even need to begin with, like that's where a potassium rich one might be a better choice than one with a bunch of sodium in it because you're already like fully topped out on sodium, you don't need anymore. But a lot of people are not hitting their potassium needs. So potassium and magnesium, magnesium are the two minerals that most people, if you're gonna like concentrate on which ones most people are not getting enough of, it's those two. Mm. However, when you're marketing it to like adult athletes who are sweating and like cutting weight and doing intensive competition as like the right rehydration formula of professional sports and like football clubs and UFC fighters. Like that's where it's like such a misalignment of utility. Cause it's like- I guess I see it more so as like a a
2: sweet water replacement. Like when I see prime, I don't think of, you know, endurance athletes, I'm just thinking, oh, there's someone who's gonna pick this up because they like the taste of it.
1: I think that's what they love people to think though, is that they get the upside of like aligning with top athletes in sports that they want to be respected in, but also get the sales velocity from like the actual children who buy the stuff. So it's like this weird paradoxical marketing misalignment where it's like all of their sponsored people are like adults at performing at a high level in sport that would never drink this. But then all of their customers are like little kids. It's really weird. Do you know the breakdown of their
2: customers? If it's actually kids or if it's more adults that are buying this? Um, I'd be very curious to see. Yeah, I
1: think the demo is mostly kids. And that's with data that I've been given from like retail stores to being somebody who like sells retail stuff. And how do they differentiate between an adult buying it for their child versus
2: someone under the age of 18 buying it? That's a good question.
1: Um as far as like actually getting hyper specific on how they would calculate these things or like gender or anything of that nature, yeah. I don't know how they do it. I just know that like when I see their audience as well, given the anecdotes I've been given in the retail space, given the audiences I see show up to their events when they do the events for Prime, given like all the circumstantial evidence that is provided, it looks to be dominated by young children. All of the anecdotes about you know like sur- super thrilled customers, even the thing he used as proof that his product's great when he called me a virgin. It was like some little kid. So it's like, there's not a lot of people emailing in, like, I'm, you know, an athlete in sport, and this was the thing that game was game-changing for me. Not that it needs to be, but it's just like, I think proportionally more kids are buying it. I think adults drink it because it why, tastes good too. Why don't you create something that would be a competition to that? I have uh, electrolyte formula, but it's not like geared to their demographic, so... Yeah, and I, I just am like not that pushy about it, so yeah. I actually talked about it at the end of the three-hour video, but it was very brief. Got it. Yeah, But um, in general, again, it's like two use cases. Are you trying to have something that tastes good and is widely adopted and people slam all day? That might make sense if you're trying to just like drink something that tastes good. It's like, yeah, like you said, it could be like a Mio or like a water replacement yeah, sort of thing. Right. That said, it has potassium, so you could actually give a misleading representation of it like this has electrolytes, because it does. It's not inaccurate to say. It's just not the thing that you're primarily sweating out when you're exercising, and yet you're marketing it through right. guys who are literally weight cutting yeah. for the UFC. Yeah. It could be a
2: good soda alternative. Or if sure. you're going to have like a Fanta. Maybe you know, low I think it's low
1: sugar. calorie as well. It is. I think yeah. it's like 10 or 20 something calories, 15 calories. The way so they market, like if they represented it in a fair way, I would be far less scrutinous of it. It's like the problem I have too is like I've made videos reviewing company stuff and like, that's part of the content I made back in the day was like supplement reviews and stuff like that. And like, there's a way to do it. That is like a more fair representation of what you're seeing versus when him and KSI will compare their product to others. Even the other day they posted their energy drink beside a Red Bull and they were like, Prime Energy has 10 calories. Red Bull has 160. You would need to drink a Prime Energy this big to get the same amount of calories as a Red Bull. And Caselo's like, what? And it's this giant drink. And it's like, they completely intentionally overlook saying that Red Bull sugar-free is, I think less calories per can than theirs, as the exact same makeup otherwise, other than being artificially sweetened and zero calorie. So like, to basically assert that this is their representation of product they have a variant that is what would be competitive with yours. So why are you completely overlooking it entirely? Are there any illegalities of
2: putting your product next to somebody else's and saying ours is better without giving a full fair comparison in that case? I'm sure if they haven't been sued yet, I would assume no, because they've been doing it a lot. It just seems like even Mr. Beast is very careful about how he positions Mr. Beast bars against Hershey's. Yeah, like for- never said, he'd never- Rarely ever says anything directly. It's usually, which one do you like better? Mr. Beast wins over her you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing Uh that's really odd, man, because it's like Gatorade. They have how many different types of Gatorade, like six or seven different variants, and they Uh all have different use cases. One of them is Gatorade Zero, which has almost no calories and just tastes good and is like a reasonable electrolyte formula. And yet Logan will pick the one that has a ton of sugar in it and is meant to be used in like very specific use cases in sport and then compare it to Prime, which is meant to be drank like in children who aren't even exercising essentially. Be like, ours has 10 calories. Theirs has, look at this much sugar. This is how much sugar it is. You like pour it out in front of you. <laughs> it's like, dude, like, <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of screams unethical marketing to me. It's just not, there's ways you could highlight the utility of your product that don't involve like misrepresenting your competition so blatantly. And it's like, the people that buy into it must be kids. Cause it's like, you're. Literally, marketing to the lowest common denominator of like understanding of what you're putting in front of their face. It's like oh, more sugar, bad. Less sugar. In fairness, I think
2: most people are like that. Not just kids. Maybe, like I think but most it's like adults an, would see sugar, no sugar, an and just automatically. But an adult no going to the
1: grocery store would they? I guess maybe they wouldn't look for like they wouldn't even know the Gatorade product exists because they heard Logan Paul say that Gatorade equals bad. At which point, it's questionable as to like. Are you basically just misrepresenting this other brand's offering? Because you're making it seem like their entire catalog revolves around this sugar dense, like unhealthy thing. And yours is so dramatically better and completely like, Steering people away from the products that they would actually buy from that company should they know the truth. So, yeah, I know
2: for me, it's so silly. But when I was a kid and maybe I was like 12, 11 years old, I went to the doctor's office and I had this thing on the wall. that showed like, you know, a chocolate bar, a can of soda, like all these things. And above it was the amount of sugar it had in it in sugar cubes. And when I saw the can of soda and the amount of sugar that was in it in cube form, Hmm. that turned me off from drinking soda as a kid. So I could see if you have this drink here and you pour out the sugar, it's it's alarming to see how much sugar
1: is put in foods and drinks today. That's true. I think the thing they lean on though heavily is the fact that these companies are so much bigger. It's similar to like a YouTuber doing a takedown video on you and you trying to decide, should I respond to this or should I not? Is it worth like giving them a platform? Is what they said even valid? You know, you consider all these things. I'm sure Gatorade and these other companies have considered like, this is complete nonsense. Like, do we do anything? I guess we can't, because it's like this yeah, company. If, then
2: if they respond, then they're bringing a lot of attention. They can't respond.
1: Exactly. So, like, I think yeah. they know this, and they lean into it, because when you don't hear any pushback, a lot of people will blindly believe it. Yeah. And then who's actually watching the adults on YouTube who are dismantling the videos and whatnot? Probably not little kids. Like, my demographic, I can almost guarantee, is older than Logan's. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, It's wild, dude. And um, yeah, it's like, I've never seen somebody so committed to making as much money as possible, even to the detriment of long-term brand credibility. Like the guy often is synonymous with scammer now and he doesn't even seem to care. Like I've seen some wild stuff that he's put out there to monetize off his audience, even to the extent of putting like, I wasn't even aware he did another uh, like NFT thing behind a paywall for his members of his membership site. So imagine was that ninety nine originals? No, was, was one of them? he's done multiple apparently. So he's done like uh, ninety nine originals, crypto zoo, and then there was like a bunch of others I wasn't even aware he did. But there was this one, and I think it's pretty egregious that you would do this to your most diehard people. Is you paid for a paywall to get exclusive content because you're such a fan of this guy, and he doesn't even really post there apparently. And then once you're behind there, you get pitched an NFT that you only have access to because you're like one of the most committed fans, and then you get rug pulled on that. Like holy shit, dude. Like, talk about slapping your audience in the face. What's interesting is I remember when he was doing the Pokemon
2: box breaks, the second one he did, uh, he included an NFT or he sold NFTs of the hollows he pulled. Yes, yeah, like what and if... at the peak, those NFTs, they all sold out the first day, yep. but a lot of them were selling for over forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand for an NFT of him pulling a Charizard card. Yeah. I'm so curious what those would sell for today. Nothing.
1: I've seen the values. Like nothing. They've actually crashed to nothingness. Like there's been assessments of this that check the before and afters and like what happened to those projects yeah. and they're all worthless. And he will never talk about it. Think yeah. doink, coin, or whatever. Like all that shit. I always assume that was a joke though. <laughs>
2: Dude. I, I never. You, yeah, but you
0: did, but a lot of other not people. I don't
2: think didn't. anybody is taking that seriously. I could be wrong,
1: but like I don't he's think anyone would look at Dink few... Doink. And... Well, people know that it's a nonsense thing that's not meant to be a real business in general, but it's the fact that he's like, I'm putting my money into this and it's stupid, but it'll probably gain value because shit coins are blowing up right now. And I think it's pro- like has good potential. Like you've endorsed it. Yeah. To your audience. There's no way you thought all those crypto projects were gonna go to the moon and like it's all gonna be fine and and then not be apologetic afterwards for how they've all crashed into nothingness, sweep it all under the rug, try and like threaten Coffeezilla to sue him. If, and then when he actually doesn't back down all of a sudden now you're like you care about everyone. Yeah man, like it's wild because it's like it almost reinforces just doing whatever you need to get ahead. It's wild. Like it's not a good story necessarily for takeaways of motivation, in my opinion. Like every time you can monetize off your audience, milk the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. It's like what he's done and it's worked quite well, at least from a monetary perspective. So I don't know, I feel like at some point it's like, there's gonna be such an overwhelmingly negative perspective of what he's doing that maybe it muddles out the rest, but he's also done an exceptional job of being viral in moments that also mute out those situations seemingly. Like, replace the audience with kids who don't know about it and just keep recycling it.
0: There's going to be some random YouTube channel with like 30,000 subscribers that makes like a six hour expose video on. I think that's the one I I
1: just saw one the other day and it like literally made a chronological timeline of every scam he's done. Oh, actually. Yeah. I don't know how viral it is. Oh, I think
2: I've seen that. I think it was the, I think it was a channel, King of Nothing.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: King of Nothing.
1: Right. I've seen him before.
2: I think that was the, it was a long
1: video. He had a lot of, Stuff that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. And it was hey, like, oh man, this guy has out. done like, like, like I don't know. I, I'd probably be misquoting, but it was like five plus rug pulls or something, or like crypto hype situations that you knew were nonsense. Like things that weren't valid businesses that you had no idea what was going on. And all you cared about was hyping it up so you could make something off of it, hopefully. So, yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's, Like, I don't know, like there's examples of people doing it the right way and then there's people doing it the wrong way. And I think he's an example of the wrong way, personally. Like, I don't think it's, you know, admirable that he has this, oh, billion dollar prime, like, yeah, man, congrats. But like at the expense of what? Do you think he's on gear? Maybe, certainly possible. I think that his, uh, he has great genetics for sure. So I think it's plausible. He could be natural, but you know, the drug testing parameters of the last fight were, pretty suspect I think it was like testing at competition only for example um and yeah like with the type of training he's doing boxing and he's still like gaining size seemingly I don't know like it's uh it's a toss-up for sure I would say I could go either way so I wouldn't definitively say I know for sure How, how are peptides different basically steroids bind to a certain receptor called the androgen receptor it was the thing I talked about where how you respond to hormones could dictate, you know, how much you respond regardless of how much is present. With peptides, they are typically more rehabilitation oriented and more like pro-recovery. Uh, they do a lot of different things because you could find examples of peptides that literally, I don't know if you guys have heard of melanotan too before. Wow. Dude, if you pull this up, you will find some wild, people are about to be like mind blown if you've never heard of it. You can literally inject this stuff stimulate the production of melanin in somebody who literally cannot tan at all even an albino person and make them black if you want to what yeah so there's some people who change their race manually with this peptide
2: so you could do it for like six months yeah and and then change back yeah
1: there was some woman i made a video (laughs) on who not only made herself black but then went on like national news and was asserting she is like actually african-american and had to like, was always like that or something. So she was actually asserting her, like that was her background too. And um, yeah, a lot of people use it to stay tan year round and it's pretty good at it. <laughs>
0: is there wow. any negative side effects? I'm really pale. <laughs> That's you uh, know, I would love to get a little bit more color w- on my it skin. It was
1: never FDA approved. So you have to buy it on the underground essentially. And it will, one of the negatives is it like flushes your skin for like an hour. So you get like a really red face, which is kind of unsightly it'll also raise your heart like a little bit seemingly, but um, you could also get moles and freckles in areas that maybe you didn't want them. Permanently? It seems to kind of go away when your tan goes away too. Um, One of the side effects, interestingly enough, is spontaneous erections. So people (laughs) get it. They actually, the developers of the drug realized it was doing that and they like pulled out the, like, I don't know, aphrodisiac slash like sexual enhancing characteristics of it and made a, female libido drug out of it, and it's actually FDA approved for female, uh, like lack of female libido. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this drug exists, it's called uh, Vilesi, I believe, and you can get it prescribed as a woman for low drive, and yeah, it doesn't tan you as much, but it just makes you hornier. Um, There's some other ones, there's a lot of other ones that all do varying things, like ones that enhance uh, like uh, tissue repair, for example, and are like pro, Um, like blood vessel formation could help get like actual circulation to areas and injuries that otherwise would have been like pretty difficult to get uh, blood flow to. Um, There's an array of different ones.
2: Um, It's amazing they have the technology to do something like that. Yeah. To me it seems
1: like magic. There's this one called GHRP6 and it stimulates the receptor that makes you hungry. So you could use it and literally like crush an eating competition. Maybe. But what about physical dangerous. limitations like your
0: stomach size?
1: Even if you're not hungry, it will make you hungry. Like it overrides signals. Do that soul. before would... all you can eat sushi.
0: That's what that we got to do. Horrible.
2: I don't, don't weigh like three hundred dollars siti- of sushi. What situations would you want to just be perpetually hungry?
1: Like, well, why? that's the thing. It's not perpetual. You can like it's in and out of your system relatively quickly. So you could. I know, but to overeat like that, you would body... think
2: that your stomach might eventually. Burst yeah it's, or like it's, it's not
1: risks to that at some point like you get full but it enhances your capacity to like override satiation mechanism essentially uh, so awful with, to me with but... bodybuilders though a lot of times the bottleneck of gaining size is food intake so for them yeah. it's worthwhile potentially for you not so much for you <laughs> maybe i don't know sounds like it might be but like back in the day too people oh, were doing. Gosh. I almost did this. I'm glad I didn't, but 10,000 calorie eating challenges were really big in fitness YouTube back yeah. in the day. I was like, everyone's getting, this is before I had yeah. a big channel. I was like, everyone's getting viral videos off 10,000 calorie challenge. I'm going to do the 10,000 calorie in one meal challenge like in less than an hour. And I was going to do it. And I decided not to, but that was what I would have used if I
2: wanted to do it. So this sounds stupid, okay? Yeah. Uh, 3,500 calories is one pound of, of fat. Yep. If you eat... Ten thousand calories. Does that and, and your baseline, let's just say, is two thousand. Does that automatically mean that you're gonna gain almost three pounds or t- sorry, two pounds? Um I I would be Like sh- is there a limit to how many calories your body could absorb in a day?
1: Probably. I would think there'd be some level of like malabsorption happening. I don't know to what a, what degree. That's a really interesting question. Though. Maybe that's a hack. It's like you have to eat 15,000
2: <laughs> calories in a day, and this last 10,000 calories just don't count.
1: And then, like, don't eat the rest of the week. Yeah, basically. Things. That's all right. Yeah, that's uh, wildly <laughs> enough, and this shows how bad the eating habits are in the fitness industry. Is one yeah. of the ways that I used to eat, and a lot of people still eat, is you have perfect discipline from Monday to Saturday or whatever days you decide. And then on the seventh day, you just go ham, and you just eat whatever. If you're actually really lean and dieted down, it's pretty easy to crush like 10,000 calories of just anything. And after that, you've kind of like made yourself sick to the point that food isn't that appealing and the next three days or so, you kind of get back to what you were at and then you start making progress again. And it's kind of this cycle of, uh, you know, binging and then depriving yourself and binging and it's not sustainable. So that's where I wouldn't recommend that. Gosh, what about the liver king diet? The one that he doesn't even follow himself because he has a different one. How do you get access to all this information? He tried to hire me as a coach before he was online. So like he sent me some like pretty like damning information from his uh, official company email. And I didn't realize it at the time. And then he like went on to basically abuse hormones and compounds to build a bigger than life like social media presence and obviously he got big very fast and then previous to that anyone who knew what he was actually doing and lying about had that information and he just didn't think it was a risk yeah. or risky enough why I guess. why did you decide to make that information public
2: and what was going through your mind at the time
1: yeah so with him it was kind of interesting because i didn't even know i had it for a while i was just kind of like i made speculative videos on it because he's basically telling people it's natural I'm like there's no fucking way this guy's natural so i'd made a couple of videos just objectively looking at what I could tell and giving my opinion. And I just saw him going on a rampage of lying on podcasts to people's faces. And it even got to the extent where he was telling people that you're like subprimal if you're on hormones, like you're like a lesser man, essentially, which there's a lot of people that literally need them to thrive or function. Um, He was saying things like, you're pathetic if you think I am. Um, That just shows how bad of work ethic you have. How could you not think this is achievable? If I actually took steroids, then you'd see what it would look like. Maybe I will just to shut you idiots up. Just like wild stuff. And I was like, dude. And then the monetary upside was kind of hard to ignore that he was asserting that what he was doing was so conducive to his progress and whatnot that it's not like he attributed that you could get his physique to his diet or his supplements, but it was like, that was the takeaway a lot of people were getting is like you're ancestrally consistent. He was like telling Hassan on a H3 podcast, like you shouldn't take TRT, just do the ancestral disciplines. And then you will be able to double your testosterone levels. Like I have, you know, like a lot of his message is noble in yeah. practice and overall the takeaways are good, but it was getting to the extent where he was actually, um, very clearly biased in order to promote it in such a way that, He was doing everything ancestrally consistent and it equals the outcome he has when in reality he was lying and taking hormones to achieve it. And you know, like there's a myriad of ethical complications that come into your own judgment if it's like fair or not. So for me, it was kind of like sick of seeing this guy just like going on a rampage on social media. I was like, you know what? Like you're not going to tell the truth. So I'll tell it for you.
2: Would there be a situation where you would reach out to him first and say, Hey, I have this information? Well, the thing is, he knew I had it. Because he sent it to me. Maybe he forgot. No, I mean, dude.
1: He, he knew. I guess he just like but wouldn't you go to
2: him first and say, hey, I got this information. You know, I have it. I want to make this video because you're making these claims. I'll give you the opportunity to say it first from your channel. And if you don't, then I will make my video. But I'd like you to have the opportunity. Did that ever cross your mind or was that ever an option or?
1: Yeah, like I suppose that that is something that could have been done, but I felt like he had more than enough opportunity. He'd been presented with the question a zillion times and basically spit in people's faces when he asked it. And there was a point when he was also like not responding to me on social media. And I was like, I don't really care to engage with the guy necessarily. So, you know, I just didn't see it worthwhile at the time too. So the guy's going to continue to lie, like to my friend's faces too. Mm. Like he'd go on podcasts with people I'm, I respect and I'm friends with and just be like, you know, uh, dodgy, lying, saying complete misrepresentations of what he's doing. And um, I don't know, especially like the, the, you know, saying you don't need blood work too. And like you're subprimal if you think you, you know, I should have blood work and cholesterol levels. are Like he was saying a lot of nonsense and it was like over the top to where, I don't know. Like I felt like he had two ears to come clean or whatever it was and he just wasn't going to do it. And he was getting, leaning harder and harder into it. And I was like, yeah, man, like, you know, I have this too. Like you sent it to me. So obviously you either think I'm like too scared to come out with it or like, don't care if I do or, or I don't know. Don't think I'm going to, yeah. I, I don't know. Like Did don't you
2: know. get any backlash from that video? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And what was the criticism you got on that?
1: Well, similar to the, you know, ethical conundrum you just present, sure. presented. It's like, how do you like, you know, make sense of making that versus opposite other options. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's certainly an interesting question, but, um, yeah it was uh i think ultimately people were just happy to see the truth come out and then him finally admit it and then see how he responded to it and the way he would say because yeah. like all of a sudden after that point he's like i think that hormones have a viable you know are viable for people who need them and i'm gonna you know try and go natural and then he ends up going back on hormones again he's self-admittedly on hormones again now so um, what happened when he went off of steroids who knows if he did dude he said he did i didn't see any blood work proof I don't know, maybe he tried. And um, I'm sure that the biggest thing he probably had a hurdle getting over is the fact that even if you come off, if you've like subjected yourself to this level of exposure for however long, there's no guarantee you're gonna like get back to high functioning status naturally necessarily, even if everything's perfect. So it almost begs the question, like how impactful is this ancestral living that is supposedly so optimal for everything and correcting hormones when you yourself with every like avenue and means and resources of an ancestrally consistent person, can't even restore your homo- hormones after coming off. Like it doesn't look too good. So I'm sure there was like a lot of different, you know, thoughts that went into like how we should handle it. What should he do? What should I say I'm doing? Should I say I'm coming off? What I'm probably planning on just staying on. Like, what, what am I gonna do about it? So. I don't know. And like ultimately he's the only one who knows for sure what he did. But to me and objectively, everyone else kind of watching, doesn't look like he really changed a whole lot in recent. I'm sure he like isn't abusing the hell out of some of the growth hormone dosages he was now, but some of it is uh yeah, man. I don't know. Like he was definitely lying to everyone and now the truth's out and he's uh handled it as well as he could, I guess. Yeah. Is there anything left that you haven't said to him that you want to say? <laughs> Not really, dude. No. Uh, he like asked me to be in some documentary thing. And I was like, like I don't really see the point personally. Like, I think we've kind of like beat this horse to death and people know. And like, you've said that I don't, I don't necessarily think he's coming from the best place of, Like I don't, I don't trust him necessarily. So sure. I'm very hesitant to like, be like, you know, you have the best intentions with whatever you're doing at this point forward. So I should just associate it with you. Like certainly not my thought process. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see what he's doing though. Cause again, like I think his overall message is noble. You know, some of the stuff that he's seen with his kids getting better from autoimmune issues, like that's real stuff that is worth taking note of. And it sucks that it overshadows, it may be overshadowed by this thing, but like it was kind of his brought it upon himself to kind of like co the two. You could have easily been like, yeah, like I'm on hormone replacement therapy, but like these are the lifestyle practices I utilize. And I think even people who are natural should utilize to optimize health and here's why. And like Paul Saladino, he is huge now. And he does not, you know, have to lean into some fake natural physique and like lie to his fans or anything about it. So I'm not saying he's like perfect either. Cause he no. definitely makes some pretty like, you know aggressive claims sometimes about like vegetables and whatnot, but like, he's certainly not lying about being on like $20,000 a year his audience and then selling the product. So, yeah.
0: yeah. It's really interesting because I, I look at Paul Saladino's diet and it seems so counterintuitive and so anti-food pyramid, which I know yeah, yeah, yeah. is kind of a... People will say it's a scam. Everything's a scam. The food pyramid's a scam. But I tried Paul Saladino's diet.
1: <laughs> which diet though? Because he changed. he's changed his stance. Right? I would say
0: it's the more recent one. So I went out, I bought raw honey. Mm-hmm. I bought non-pasteurized uh, like milk, uh, cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did... 80 20 ground beef. I bought uh beef tallow. Oh, sorry, grass fed, grass finished ground beef, which is key. I bought beef tallow. I did the whole nine yards. And I would eat like two meat patties with the non-pasteurized dairy and then put a glob of raw honey on it. Yeah. And it and maybe a organic banana on the side. Sure, sure. And it was really good. But as I'm eating it, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that this is healthy. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like he says he, he's an MD, yep. right? And he says it's super healthy. And I had that meal day after day, after day, after day. Yeah. And there's just no way <laughs> if I'm looking at that plate that it's healthy.
1: Yeah, dude. It's, uh, it's interesting for sure. Because I think again, similar to what we talked about, about how, if you're in a deficit, does not matter what you're eating? Like you can lose weight eating garbage. Not, not that I'm saying what he's doing is garbage, but you can lose weight essentially eating anything. It's just how you lose the weight and what it results in from like a signaling aspect, a muscle retention standpoint, cognitive health. Like some of these things will vary, but you will reliably lose weight regardless of what you're eating. If it's McDonald's, if it's burgers, whatever on it, et cetera. So with him, a lot of the upside, I would say, is ultimately that his energy balance is good regardless. So as long as you're in like a sustainable model where you're not overeating, like that's the majority of your benefit from the low hanging fruit stuff. So like he is surfing daily, he's exercising regularly, he's metabolically fit and he's doing things to sustain it. It's not just like he's eating what would be considered perfectly. He's also not overeating it. So to actually say, oh, is this, you know, the sugar and stuff good with the meat? Like it very much depends on what you're doing activity wise. Like if you're just sedentary, I'm sure he would not be telling you like slam a bunch of you know, honey and sugar and this and that too. Like it very much depends on what you are exposing yourself to. Um, But again, I'm not like a nutrition expert. I don't claim to be. I certainly don't like that field either. There's a lot of like dogma and like controversial takes in it. And um, I think that he does uh, potentially downplay the importance of certain lipid parameters that are like pretty reliably shown to be atherosclerosis concerning for sure. And his assertion is that if you're metabolically healthy, it doesn't really matter what your LDL cholesterol is or these numbers. And it's like resulted in endless debates between him and like Lane Norton who responds to his stuff and just like dunks on him constantly. And then people who are on his side and who say how great they feel too, which is a real thing. That's not to say that's not real, but um, to say what's optimal versus not like depends on your genetics, depends on your blood work, depends on how you respond to the food itself. And, um, yeah, like a lot of the stuff he eats, it's on the basis of it being nutrient-rich and bioavailable and unlikely to cause autoimmune issues. And like, it's hard to argue with that logic when you just stop there. It's <clears throat> when you get above and beyond that. Like, okay, is this much sugar good for what I'm doing? Is it sustainable? How difficult is it to even procure these things? Because a lot of people are like, I'm sure you had like a pretty arduous process. very of, hard and to find beef tallow. And relatively expensive. It was and, very
0: expensive. Yeah. How much yeah. was it? I... It probably, I mean, eighty twenty grass fed, grass finished ground beef is about twice as expensive per pound okay. as just like any other type. Sure. And, and everything else is basically two to two and a half times more expensive. And I had to go to Sprouts, you know, you yeah, can't yeah. go to like Albertsons or Ralph's or something like
1: that. No, I absolutely don't want the takeaway from that to be, don't eat good because it's expensive. Cause like, I think if anything you should spend good money on, it's I agree. food. I agree. However, I think a lot of what he says has validity, but I also think he uh, leans a little bit to in the scare, like fear monger side of diet. And he will extrapolate out from like rodent literature stuff that might not actually be super applicable to humans and then say, see, like, you know, soy fucked up this rat. So don't like ever eat this or whatever. Like, and then he kind of like invites scrutiny by trying to like seemingly have like a bit of a, I don't know, myopic view around trying to like, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's not, it's not liver King at all, but like he's definitely leaning into the viral angle a bit, which I don't think he needs to. He's a super intelligent guy who people respect his opinion. He doesn't need to do that kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, his diet model works for him. It works great. Seemingly he gets regular, uh, imaging to make sure he doesn't have atherosclerosis accumulating. At least that's what he says. And, um, you know, I don't know, like if you're hitting your micronutrients and your macros, you're not gaining weight and you like it. I guess part of the hangup is, do you even like this food? Because a lot of people are just not going to like that stuff. I tried his like raw milk, like honey concoction. the you other You tried day. that? Yeah, he made one for me. I fucking hated it.
0: I actually didn't mind it. Raw yeah. milk and, and non-pasteurized yeah. honey. But that, again,
1: that- that's just like, so is it realistic for me to eat? Like that's a lot of calories too. The raw milk, presumably. Yeah. Plus the honey, which is like a sugar bomb essentially. Yeah. Is the most satiating thing I could be allocating like 400 or whatever calories <laughs> to this right. like drink. Probably not, dude. So I'm not going to argue with the validity of its micronutrient density and the quality of the food, but like perhaps it's not the most conducive thing to like my ideal diet. So I don't think everyone should copy what he does. I don't think he would assert in like a long form podcast either that everyone should copy Mm -hmm. him to the the money. Well, he said
0: that before he says everybody responds differently. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks as a general rule of thumb, like broad strokes, that this is a pretty good diet. For most Yeah.
1: People. I think in general, if you choose from the food groups that he has asserted as good quality stuff, like it's hard to go wrong mm-hmm. pending that you're also doing other things, right? Because a lot of people don't exercise, and they don't sleep well, and they don't do these other things. So the real argument comes into the propensity to atherosclerosis and if you can avoid it entirely just by being metabolically fit, which is super questionable, but he will tell you pretty aggressively if you are metabolically healthy, like don't worry about it. If you follow this diet, exercise, etc., cetera, like that's where it gets really finicky because there are people that seemingly end up with clogged arteries regardless of how metabolically fit they are. And then he'll assert that that data is nonsense. And then it's like this endless argument where you're not able to like prove one way or the other but from what I've seen, I think you should be a bit cautious with. I think there's absolutely a balanced take where don't just blindly assume that you're going to be covered because you're eating a carnivore diet.
0: We should have Paul on the podcast.
1: I'd be down. It would make a yeah, really absolutely. interesting... I, we I, could we could even go yeah. to
0: him. He's in Puerto Rico, right? Or something like yeah, that? Yeah,
1: yeah. He was just... Uh, I don't know when he's going to be traveling next because I know he was just in Arizona and then he was just in Austin to meet up with me and then now he's in Puerto Rico or Costa Rica. Costa Rica, is that Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. But I'm sure he'd be down, man. Like,
0: yeah, it could be a fun trip. I would love to go to Costa Rica.
1: That would be amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like most people's diets are just so bad. So if you take his diet, anything is an improvement. Yeah. It's just going to be better than, you know, eating Doritos chips. And I I think
1: a lot of the thing, because again, I'm not, again, a nutrition content creator necessarily. So I don't have like extreme bias towards one way or the other I just want to eat what makes me feel the best perform the best and the least chance of dying like that is essentially what I care about so whatever gets me there like I don't really care what it is as long as I like it too and sustainable and I'm not going to overeat and get fat on it with them though they get like really granular about like Mm -hmm. proving each other are insane almost to the point that it's like it's uh it's hard to really like realize that a lot of the intelligent people on both sides of the camps are saying a lot of the same things and they act like it's totally different. Like just cause Paul said, don't eat oatmeal. It doesn't mean this other guy is saying, don't eat red meat or something. Like a lot of people assert that there's, it's like vegetarian versus carnivore, but oftentimes the people that Paul is actually arguing with, at least from like the educated side of this equation are people who are like actually eating red meat regularly and have high quality, you know, steaks on a daily basis and are doing the right lifestyle practices and this and that there's just the one disagreement that I see that has not been fully fleshed out where like everyone's in agreement on is how problematic is it to have elevated um atherogenic lipoproteins which is essentially like your your cholesterol profile like at a granular level is there a possibility to end up with heart disease even if you're eating the perfect animal-based carnivore-based diet with surfing with the with everything and this is assuming that it's in a regular person too because obviously not everyone is paul with the perfect lifestyle and all the resources to get like insanely high quality food and like whatever so considerations have to be made and was perhaps a super long ramble but like i think what he says has validity for sure and i think a lot of the food choices he has are you know questionably sustainable for some people and questionably affordable but also like yeah, you know, they're still high quality. There's no arguing there.
0: I love the diet. It's like my favorite foods to eat, believe it or not. Like honey globs of honey on top of raw meat. Or not raw meat. Like, oh yeah. On top of like 80-20 um, ground beef is like it's, it's incredible. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it just looks like it's just I'm just, oh, just it looks like injecting it looks like I'm injecting my arteries with like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. cholesterol
1: when I'm doing that. It looks like if you saw a picture at the doctor's office of like whatnot. Yeah, whatnot he it's
0: that. But I'm yeah. like, I feel good, but it just everyone that would see it would be like, What are you eating? yeah you know yeah so, no
1: totally understandable I yeah Why people would think that too
0: do you take creatine
1: yes and, and i would highly recommend it for almost everyone even women and there is new literature emerging on how impactful it is on brain health fertility metrics and other things aside from just muscle now
0: this makes me want to make another comment because i started taking creatine now i play pickleball i play recreationally but i'm very serious yeah, when yeah. i went and i started taking creatine i noticed i got a lot heavier and I just felt heavy on my feet. And I checked it with my other friend who skateboards and he was like, yeah, I could ollie like six inches lower. Mm-hmm. That was like my max ollie height when I was taking creatine. Cause you just get so heavy so quickly and you feel slower and bogged down and your arms. Yeah, sure, they get bigger and you feel stronger and you can push more weight in the gym, but it just slows you down.
1: So one thing you have to consider too is in sports, when you go watch an Olympic event or Olympics in general, there is different categories of even like runners. Check the body types of guys in the 100 meter, 200, 400, 800, it's like reliably, you will see a decrease in muscle mass of like double digit pounds almost. Mm -hmm. Just because the guy at the 100 meter has more muscle, it doesn't mean he's gonna perform as well in an endurance event as the really skinny guy in like the whatever. So to use that as a negative against creatine is certainly not fair. (laughs) It's like it's not apples to apples where it's like, okay, for skateboarding, we're being lighter on your feet, proportionally is more advantageous potentially than whatever upside you get out of it like okay in that circumstance how important is skateboarding to you relative to whatever benefits you get out of this like if ollieing higher and not getting creatine upside is like you know your determination of more useful then don't take it so it is pro health as well as pro muscular performance but in certain contexts like yeah maybe more not harmful, but like less helpful for like specific sports. Interesting.
0: Mm. Okay. So I was concerned that that was like just overall bad for my health. Cause when I feel slower on my feet and I Mm. feel like I'm just not as agile, I'm just like, okay, that's just a metric of like, this is something I should start doing. But I suppose if there's like brain function advantages and other things as well, and then obviously pushing more weight in the gym, looking stronger, feeling stronger, those could outweigh it. What are your thoughts on AG1?
1: Yeah, I uh think that it is of the available greens formulas, probably the most rigorously or at least what I'm aware of. Like I think I've had like 50 plus iterations. They've sponsored my channel before. And I think in general greens formulas, it's very difficult to get an amount that is even something people would drink into a powder because yeah. it would be almost disgusting if you were to get <laughs> like tons of greens into a powdered format. So I think the limitation is more on the taste profile as opposed to like the formulas validity. Cause I think that the people behind it are really good people who actually like go out of their way to do good sourcing of ingredients, are pretty mindful of like reflecting current literature. Everyone I know and trust speaks very highly of them. Like Huberman speaks very highly Mm -hmm. of them, Matia, et cetera. Like these are guys that I defer to for my own education. So if I was to say a greens formula that exists, I would be, I would trust them more than most companies. That said, do I think that it's going to replace greens in your diet? No, I think it's a supplement at best. Also, do I think that you're going to get like a super effective amount of every ingredient that's in the formula? Definitely not. There's like, I don't know, dozens of ingredients that are there. Some of them objectively, perhaps to like look good on the label, not in the impactful amounts, but I think also this is just sort of the standard for the greens industry. So you can only put so much before people won't drink it. And there's definitely some, you know, consideration of that as well. So, you know, if I was to look at greens formulas that exist from what I'm aware of, they're like one of the better ones.
0: We had a guest on our podcast, Justin Waller, and he said that when he works out his abs, he only works out the bottom too. What are your thoughts
1: on that? <laughs> um... Why did he say that?
0: Because you don't see people walking around with only the bottom two abs. Usually the people have the top two or the top four mm-hmm. and a real six pack of abs needs the bottom two. So if he works out the bottom two, realistically, it's just the top four are going to follow suit.
1: Did you ask him about spot reduction? Cause like, I would be wondering, like if I'm trying to develop a balanced core, I am trying to target the whole thing. Cause I don't want to have like a, underdeveloped stability in the top four rather than and just the bottom two like that's how you would end up with injuries typically i don't even know how you would really work just the bottom two. like there's definitely ways to target <laughs> yeah.
0: that one yeah. really viral i show yeah. showing the clip okay i don't know if i can let me see if i can find it there,
1: there's no it i think it's
3: one
2: of our most viewed YouTube like the, clips. there's definitely
1: ways to target proportionally more down there but like
0: okay right here hey i found it
1: 16 million views on instagram
0: There you go. That's crazy. I've had a
1: six pack since I was 24 years old. When I do abs, I only do the bottom two abs.
0: How many guys have you met? Like, oh, I got the top two. My
1: grandma's got the top two. It's your ribs, asshole. I only have the top two. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. But if you do decline, Weighted
0: abs, like with a 45 on your chest, and you only focus on the bottom two, and you tilt your head back so you isolate it. Nobody in history of the universe has ever had the bottom two in this V taper and not have the top two. You ever do a side plank? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Go <laughs> up and put your hand on. It. Make sure it burns, and when it finally starts to burn, bounce. Pulse on that. Fuck it up, like. Like, you destroy it. I used to do that two minutes at a time on each side. It, you kind of get that 300 look. I'm telling you, you'll have a six pack faster than you would any other i got to try that. that. It's an absolute cheat because it pokes through the skin. No. Why? Because <laughs> I just...
1: Out. He wasn't convincing enough? You know? <laughs> He's just so in the history in the of the universe, Jack. I probably
0: realistically, I probably just forgot
1: it. <laughs> okay, so, like it's, to me the stuff he says is not like inaccurate that that when would you see a guy with the bottom two and not the top? It's like, well, like yeah, because that's where fat accumulates. So you probably wouldn't have got abs anywhere if you weren't lean enough. So like what he says, it's like, that's true. I guess I wouldn't. But like, it's, I don't know, like, to me, it's implying there's some sort of like localized fat reduction that you could get out of that exercise, or you're going to end up with underdeveloped lower abs relative to the others that is not related to diet whatsoever. So it's like, I do think that that's like a viable exercise. I just don't think it has the importance (laughs) that he implies because at the end of the day, abs are made in the kitchen. I don't think he would deny that. I think isn't, didn't he say he eats like once a day or something? Yeah. So it's like, you know, like it's his diet that is conducive mostly to the abs. So I would be shocked to see the difference in him having body fat versus not is like the thing that's going to make the biggest difference. If you're training your abs, if you want to hit the lower ones, like I know people who don't train abs at all and have better looking abs than anyone I've ever seen and they train it indirectly through course to bit stabilizing exercises that are compound movements I don't necessarily think you sh- like need to do them or don't do them it could be useful if you want to have like a good core that is proportionally strong to the rest of your body but doing the exercise to get the abs is like it's made in the kitchen at the end of the day so like I don't think there's any localized fat reduction I don't think it makes that big of a difference on the development of them where it's going to look way different like I think it's kind of exaggerated like it sounds like something you would hear like i don't know it's like uh like a bro myth sort of thing <laughs> yeah and not to speak poorly about his advice either like obviously the guy is in good shape and whatever but it's like i can almost guarantee like 99 percent of it comes from his diet mm. yeah all right
3: all right
0: i don't think there's anything else left this to, is amazing. Is, yeah is there anything that you wanted to talk about anything you want to bring up
1: i don't know like what do you, what do you guys spend the majority of your time on now that you feel is worthwhile and the biggest roi For the podcast it would be travel us finding the time to go to our guests let's just say like like in your week though yeah like what do you have of all of your trials and tribulations of having multiple channels reaction videos doing your like very targeted main channel videos podcasts like what do you feel like is the most valuable use of your time now Honestly, it's posting less as, as weird as that
2: sounds. It's posting less on the main channel. I was posting three times a week and I did that for six and a half years and it wasn't until I think th- two months ago, give or take, I started posting once a week and the views have gone up since I've posted once a week. Overall. Overall. Okay. Yeah. Uh, doing shorts is fantastic as, as far as my own time. I'm, I think I'm focusing more time on myself, which I've never done before.
1: Nice dude. Yeah.
2: Like painting the garage was a big one. I spent three days painting the garage. I love doing that. Um, I got uh, a blank canvas. I want to do some art. That's so random, but uh, give that a shot. Nice, dude. Uh, and home improvement stuff. Huh. I'm getting really into that. I did my backyard lights uh, in LA. Did it myself, and it's super easy to do. You buy all the equipment online. It's really easy. You don't need like an electrician or I paid some dude six hundred bucks. I just watched how he did it on the side of the house, and I thought I could do that, and I did. Hmm. Easy. Nice for a fifth of the cost. When it comes stuff to like to... that.
1: Content, like obviously on the surface, you saying less content, are yeah. you proportionally doing more elsewhere that makes you no. or are you better at like managing your not going insane while you're not working?
2: Uh no, I'm setting longer on each video, but just because I have more time, not okay. because I'm actually spending more time on the video. It's just yeah. it's the work is expanding because I have more time available to me. That's really it. Um but now on the videos itself, I got that down to a science. I mean, I know the structure, I know what does well, I know which topics I could talk about, it,
1: it just flows. You didn't uptake so. your output of podcast frequency or anything though? We,
2: we tried, we tried two a week uh, for a little bit and we discovered it didn't work. Hmm. Uh, one a week was a sweet spot, I think especially for a three hour episode. Yeah. Uh, people d- doing that twice is just too much. So we could throw in like a midweek every now and then, but we found once a week is the perfect amount and then we could do shorts in between. So as odd as it seems, I think working less is
0: uh, to our benefit at this point.
1: How many people do you have on the team now for like editors, people who clip stuff, whatever?
0: So it's Graham and I, as the hosts, we have a producer that does a lot of the editing, talking to brands, stuff like that, just behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. We just hired him too, so we're kind of training him. We have our short form editor that clips up things for vertical content, TikTok, uh, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, and that that guy has his own agency or Mm -hmm. just one of his clients. Mm -hmm. We have an agency that repurposes our content to a Snapchat tile, so we have that. Mm -hmm. And they also do it for Facebook. Mm -hmm. So we also, uh, that's the same agency there. And then we have a few different random agencies and agents that we work with to source brand deals.
1: I appreciate the insight, man. I appreciate you guys having me, too. Thank you so much for
2: coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I love this. And we'll link to all of your information down below in the description. So anyone who wants to check you out, description.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.